Your patience has paid off. Your guidance more than my patience. You don't need guidance, Anakin. In time, you will learn to trust your feelings. Then you will be invincible. You are the most gifted Jedi I have ever met. I see you becoming the greatest of all the Jedi, Anakin. Even more powerful than Master Yoda. Welcome to Now Playing's Star Wars Retrospective Series. Jedi business, go back to your drinks. Hosted by Arnie. The Maker! I knew you would return. I knew it. Stuart. This was so smiling to see in you, sir. And Jacob. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. I should think that you Jedi would have more respect for the difference between knowledge and... <laughs> wisdom. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as they review another Star Wars film, leading up to the new film, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Dangerous and disturbing this puzzle is. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers. I've got a bad feeling about this. Listener discretion is advised. Don't worry, we have our two with us. <laughs> Today we're discussing Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Starring Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen, Natalie Portman, Ian McDermott, Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee, Frank Oz, directed by George Lucas. Coming to you from the old folks' home on Coruscant, this is Arnie. Stewart in L.A. And this is Jacob, and it's good to be back because I'm always dying a bit each day when I'm away from you guys. Aw, that's so uh, sweet. I, you know, a love story. It was time. Ooh, it's such a good love story. Yeah. <laughs> we needed this. I think that this is exactly the antidote to Jar Jar. I remember there was a lot of joking. I mean, the, the name, Attack of the Clones, I remember we all called it Sending the Clones. Like, it, <laughs> it was off to a rough start when they started advertising it. It was off to a rough start after Phantom Menace. Let's just say that the backlash was in full bloom by the time they got around to putting out the sequel, and people were highly skeptical and, and second-guessing everything that they were being given. I had no memory of this because I had no thought I would ever see it. Things changed, of course, when, Arnie, you got engaged. Yeah, I happened to get married the week before this film. Marjorie <laughs> and I were talking, and she's like, wouldn't it be really cool to just, like, have a Star Wars-themed wedding the weekend before Star Wars comes out? I'm like, well, that, that would be cool, yeah. I, I, yeah. And Stuart cosplayed. I did. Um, wow. Yeah. But you know what? I The rest of it, I think I had the right attitude for it. I was very happy for you. And, you know, I was willing to see whatever it took to get you to down the aisle and have a happy ending. And it was mostly a traditional ceremony. We were married by a Christian minister who dressed like Darth Maul. No face makeup, but the full black robes <laughs> with the double-bladed saber. Yep. <laughs> 
yeah, it was more than Halloween. I, it was a wedding. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that, that's what people failed to recognize is I treated it like a wedding. We didn't have weird vows. We didn't have weird sayings. I had John Williams music because I think there's no better music to walk down the aisle to than the throne room music from the end of A New Hope. People said, how could you take a marriage seriously if you costume? My response, isn't a wedding dress a costume? Isn't any ritualistic garb costuming? So... Yeah, we dressed up like Jedi. Stuart and a couple other were my friends. I got pictures for people who donate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I might still have that lightsaber somewhere. I'm not sure. But the, the rest of it went out with a garage sale. But I also remember being really tired for MSNBC because we were in New Orleans. We were on our honeymoon. So tiredness is already part of that. But then... We went to the midnight showing of Attack of the Clones. And what shocked me is they were still selling tickets when we got there. I'd pre-ordered the tickets weeks ahead of time. They were selling them at the door. And so I asked one of the clerks, how many seats do you have? He goes, all of them. Now, here's what's really funny. They were pirating the movie at this New Orleans movie theater. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? It is New Orleans. I got to say, they do things on the download there. Lucas had mandated with The Phantom Menace that every print you got had to run for like an ungodly number of weeks, like 12 to 16 weeks it had to run. And so people filled the screens and then had empty theaters in the teen weeks. So with Attack of the Clones, each theater ordered less prints. But what the theater I went to did, they had a, you know, a film print. They threaded it through multiple projectors. (laughs) So that it would go in one projector, out and into the next. Oh, interesting. Back when theaters had projectors. Yeah, I was going to say, so this wasn't uh, digital. At this point, this was still celluloid going through a traditional movie projector. This was one of the first movies to be shot completely digital, but there were only like a dozen theaters in the country that could show it digitally. Hmm. Yeah, I remember that being a big deal, the digital showing. Yeah, and this was part of the business behind Star Wars. When I went to Celebration 2, Rick McCullum was there standing up on a stage telling all of his acolytes to write to their theaters and tell them we want digital projectors in our theaters so that we can see Star Wars the way it was meant to be seen. But if I were seeing it here in Springfield, if I were seeing it in St. Louis, when seeing it in New Orleans, there was not a single digital projector to be had. Hmm. That's certainly an interesting time capsule because these days you'd be hard-pressed to find one that isn't digital these days. Yeah, now when Christopher Nolan and Quentin Tarantino release films on celluloid, it's a big deal. Well, I wish to God this had been digital, because obviously their jury-rigged thread the film didn't work. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) So they tried and tried and tried, and we kept seeing, like, the first frames of the scroll, and it died and tore. (laughs) And finally, they just left us there watching on an endless loop a concession ad that to this day I can remember. Salty, chewy, sweet, yummy, salty, chewy, sweet, yummy. (laughs) It it went on for three hours of this torture. It's probably better than Phantom Menace. I'll give you that. We were falling asleep, trying to sleep through the noise. You were waiting for them to fix it so you could watch it? (laughs) Yes, we were in the theater kept for three hours. There wasn't another theater you could go to? Did you not like throw a fit and say, my wife you ruined our honeymoon. No, we just sat there every time they'd come in and say it's going to be 10 more minutes. Well, three hours later, I think what they finally gave up and did was show real one on one 
there screen. You go. Yeah, cut it up. And yeah. then move the reel to reel one on another screen. There you go. Yeah, you show it out <laughs> in like half hour, 40 minute intervals. Yeah. So by the time we got done watching this movie, it was 4 a.m. and we had to be on MSNBC at 7. Jeez. <laughs> So I can't say I saw a midnight showing so much as I saw a 2 a.m. showing. <laughs> well, I saw neither. I saw this opening weekend. I waited till Sunday when I was living in Utah at the time. So you can imagine a pretty religious community. Not a lot of crowds on, on Sundays at the movie theater. So that's when I chose to go and was able to just buy a ticket and walk in. I did see this one a lot. I talked about if you go back to our Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man review, I talked about I saw this one a lot in theaters, and this is the one that got me to start buying the toys. This one, I became a collector. I, I don't know if it's because of this film, but at the time, I started buying the toys that were filling the shelves because of the Attack of the Clones. All I know is I saw it with you, Arnie. I don't remember the theater. I don't remember my reaction. I, I don't remember much. I just know that I caved. I know that I had that stance of saying, I am never going to watch George Lucas ruin movies by digitally altering actors' performance. And probably because you got married and I was feeling generous, I, it was so important to you. Okay, uh, let's go take a look at this thing. And I, I think I had, by this point, seen that VHS version of Phantom Menace. You told me you had seen Phantom Menace at that point. You definitely knew Jar Jar because you said you were going to be Jar Jar at her wedding. And I said, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Marjorie would have loved that now. Yeah, why would that have been a problem? Actually, Marjorie said no, firm no, absolute no. <laughs> I just wanted to bust up a church, I think is all I really wanted to do. Knock over some pews. Squeeze me! I don't remember having to convince you to go, Stuart, but it was at the point where you were living in Chicago, I was living a few hours south, and mm -hmm. on the rare occasion that I came up to Chicago, we usually hung out. And sometimes it was, I don't have plans, we're just hanging out. Other times it's, I'm coming for this, and you joined us. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't remember this experience. I, I wrote down, as I do with all of these, I wrote down what I could remember. This one's shorter, by far. What I could remember about Attack of the Clones. Yeah, mostly this was the movie that got Arnie and Marjorie married. It's appropriate because this is the love story of the saga. And Natalie Portman and Anakin are going to have some awkward dialogue about hating sand and flirting in the dunes. And at some point, he hates sand so much he's going to kill a sand person or some sand people. Is this the beginning of the Clone Wars? I'm, I'm reading my notes here. Uh, there are some spectacular battlefield shots of tanks that spin around or something. The clones are stormtroopers and the prototype is Jango Fett and he's played by Tamara Morrison and Boba Fett is a pre-adolescent. Christopher Lee is Evil Count Dooku, a name that never fails to make me laugh. <laughs> and Jar Jar is really dialed back in this one, like just a couple of lines. Sam Jackson has an expanded role, and Yoda gets the big action moment by showing what a badass he is with a lightsaber. That's it. That's all I could jot down. Yeah, you described, like, the last 45 minutes. Yeah. And this is an almost two-and-a-half-hour film. Yeah, I couldn't remember much, but I remembered images of characters. I remembered who was in it, what they looked like, but I couldn't really remember the story. Yeah, I think you did a pretty good job of remembering this one. It's nowhere near as hysterical as your original trilogy <laughs> memories. But yeah, I think that as we go through it, you'll find that you were pretty right. You got the high points. I do love somebody on the Star Wars Action News Facebook page just today introduced me to a new nickname for one of the characters. I thought that was undoable, but it was Scooby-Dooby-Dooku! <laughs> 
Hey, I love Christopher Lee. I'm up for seeing him in anything, but wow. Dooku. Is he partners with Shoggy? <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is that's a real Jedi. Oh, wait. Oh, okay. I thought you were just being funny. All right. No, no, no. It's a real Jedi that looks like Shaggy. Oh, no. But that came after this movie and we'll discuss yes. it. We will. I yes. Think. Okay. Well, then let's discuss it. Arnie, give him the plot. We'll get into Attack of the Clones. It's been 10 years since the events of The Phantom Menace and Anakin Skywalker, now played by Hayden Christensen, and I can't wait for the debate over which Anakin is better, has grown into a young adult Padawan under the tutelage of Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, again played by Ewan McGregor. There's unrest in the Senate. Due to more political maneuvering, many systems are falling under the influence of ex-Jedi Count Dooku, played by Christopher Lee. His anti-Republic rhetoric has them building a giant droid army and planning to leave the Republic. In the Galactic Senate, there's debate over forming a grand army, some senators feeling it's needed to defend against the Separatists, but others, including former Queen and now Senator Padme Amidala, played by Natalie Portman, believe the Separatists will take this as an act of aggression. Worse, a mysterious assassin is trying to kill the senator from Naboo. Fearing for Amidala's life, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine, again played by Ian McDermott, asks the Jedi to allow the Senator's old friend Obi-Wan Kenobi and his Padawan Anakin to guard her. They learn the assassination has been orchestrated by the bounty hunter Jango Fett, played by Tamura Morrison. So Obi-Wan and Anakin split up. Obi-Wan heads to the water planet of Kamino to investigate Fett, while Anakin takes Padme back to her homeworld of Naboo to keep her safe from assassination and to flirt with her and fall in love while riding bad CGI beasts that have big asses. On Kamino, Obi-Wan learns that in secret, the cloners on that world are building an army of soldiers for the Republic, ordered long ago by the dead Jedi Knight Sifo-Dyas. The soldiers are all clones made from the DNA of Jango Fett. Obi-Wan then follows Fett and his unaltered clone son Boba, played by Daniel Logan, to Geonosis, where there's a meeting of the Separatist leaders. Obi-Wan is captured by the Separatists and he meets Count Dooku, who was the master of Obi-Wan's master, Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> so it's Obi's grandmaster? <laughs> <laughs> and we find out Yoda was Dooku's master. So I guess there's the great grandmaster. Yoda's everyone's master. They got a way to cover that in this film. They it's starting to turn into Electra. I'm like, I'm the treasure. No, I'm the treasure. <laughs> Who gets to wear the sash this week? All right. <laughs> Dooku tells Obi-Wan that a Sith is in control of the Senate and asks Obi-Wan to join him to destroy the Sith. But Obi-Wan refuses and is sentenced to death. Meanwhile, Anakin's having bad dreams involving his mother back on Tatooine. So he violates his orders and goes to his homeworld with Padme and discovers his mother is no longer a slave, but was freed and married a moisture farmer named Klee Lars but she's been kidnapped by some Tusken Raiders. Anakin goes to rescue her and arrives just as she dies from the Sand People's torture. Angry Anakin kills all the Tuscans, And not just the men, but the women <laughs> and the children! I'm sorry, I can't keep a straight face when he does it. Returning to Amidala at the homestead of the Lars, Anakin finds a communication from Obi-Wan. So Anakin and Padme go to Geonosis to rescue the Jedi Master, but are themselves captured. They're to be executed by Dooku in an arena, but Samuel L. Jackson's Jedi Mace Windu and hundreds of other Jedi arrive to stop the Separatists. The Confederate battle droids attack, but Yoda arrives with the Republic's clone army. A battle ensues and begun, the Clone Wars have. Count Dooku tries to escape with the plans to the ultimate weapon, the Death Star, but is followed by Obi-Wan and Anakin. 
In a lightsaber battle, Dooku cuts off Anakin's arm, and Yoda arrives, but the little green Jedi and Dooku fight to a stalemate, and the Count escapes. He goes to Coruscant, where it's revealed he is Darth Tyrannus, apprentice of Darth Sidious, the true master of the events of the war. Meanwhile, Anakin and Padme are married in a secret ceremony as credits roll. Now, what I found interesting with this scroll, I don't know if this is the first time, the only time it does it in a Star Wars film. I, th I think so. It's better than last week's, you know. We've got a bunch of solar systems that want to leave the Republic. There's a mysterious Count Dooku that's causing problems, and Senator Amidala is going to vote about the army of the Republic. Is this the first time that they, like, mention a character we have never heard of? Like, they drop this name Dooku. <laughs> Is he the Phantom Menace? Like, he's not going to show up for a long time in this they, No, they want, they want to prepare you because for the name? when the name comes, yeah, they want to minimize the laughter. <laughs> it didn't work. But good try. Well, I mean, technically in episode four, they mention... Characters we've never seen before. True. <laughs> okay. Yes, but I think Jacob's point is valid. They're they're teasing a character that really doesn't play a huge part in the story that we see. Right. I think they're setting him up <laughs> instead of actually introducing us to the character. They're saving him for a couple hours into the movie, and so here we're supposed to remember at three o'clock in the morning that he was mentioned in this opening scroll. <laughs> Especially when they're they're going to name Tyrannus, they're going to name Siphodia. Like there are so many names. I don't know who these people are. They've done things like buy entire clone armies. It's confusing. The Jedi should have really noticed their credit cards were maxed out on that one. <laughs> oh, I've got, I got so many logistic questions about this clone army getting created. Like, th there's no invoices. Like, anyone can walk <laughs> in. I'm a Jedi. Oh, good. You want to see your army? Yeah, the Jedi are looking like Keystone cops. I got to say, right from the get-go here, you know, Queen Amidala is landing. There's no welcoming party for her. Like, there's a bomb, and you know, there's nobody even there to, like, sweep up the mess. But I got to give it credit. You know, Jacob talked about the scroll. They always pan to a spaceship. This is the first time they ever pan up and we're upside down. That's kind of weird. Yeah, I do think it's an interesting entry. It made me think like, yeah, when you're approaching a planet from outer space, you might think you're one way. You got to flip over. It's an interesting visual. But yes, they land and we're treated to an amazing explosion and Amidala dies right then. <laughs> Good. Let's go home. You, you didn't need to stay up till three in the morning watching this movie's over ah but it was another decoy we were introduced to that last film yeah not surprised especially as padme like the, the one person who doesn't take their helmet off when they land like okay that's the secret reveal i know how this works by now with star wars i just don't understand why her decoy feels that she has failed padme like that is your job to take the bullet <laughs> but she's like no i failed you yeah captain typho says it right she did her duty now you go do yours her duty is to die that is not exactly a job with security no but you know she's got a stranger entourage here i mean rose byrne is hanging out one of the handmaidens jimmy smith's is here. I can't believe it. Jimmy Smith <laughs> is in the Star Wars universe. He is Bail Organa. Yeah, an important person if you're a Star Wars what? fan. Yeah, I don't know if his name is said here, but this is the adoptive father of Princess Leia. Okay, whatever. <laughs> and obviously she had to know she was adopted because she's not Hispanic. <laughs> What's his name? Organic Kale? What is it? B 
Bail Organa. Okay, whatever. Right. I feel like this was like, oh, I, he was just free to be there that day, like barely in this thing. But no, he's going to be in Revenge of the Sith even more. He gets an action scene. Oh, okay. Lucas specifically said that he wants to introduce characters in one movie to have them do more in the next. In the first movie, he introduced. <laughs> Mace Windu, so that he could do more in the future films. Here he's introducing Jimmy Smits. But I also have to say, and I know that Jacob's probably going to laugh at me, this is a heavily edited version of the actual film. There was a lot more of Jimmy Smits and a lot more of the Senate and a lot more of a lot of uh. things in Lucas's original cut that he had to work and kill some darlings to get down to this two hour and 20 minute length. This is the longest Star Wars film, isn't it? It, it, I noticed it's almost two and a half hours. I usually think about two hours, two hours, five minutes for a Star Wars film. The prequels are all longer than the original. The originals were pretty close to 120, maybe 130 after they added all the special edition credits. Revenge of the Sith is only like two or three minutes shorter than this. Well, I'll have to see how that one feels. This one felt a lot longer than Phantom Menace. I'll tell you something right away without spoiling my review. They released this in IMAX also. Not digital, because IMAX wasn't digital back then either. They had those huge reels, if you remember those. Yes. But IMAX, because of the reel size, had a hard limit of two hours. You could not show a two-hour and 20-minute movie. They cut 20 minutes from this movie, and it was so much better. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think, yes, I probably would agree with that. Wow, Just okay. Just reviewing what I think. Yes. I mean, it just, it was tighter. It got to everything quicker. It didn't belabor any points. It really was. I You can never see that cut again. It's not Lucas's cut. It was a artistic compromise to make the IMAX dollars. But it really was the best cut I've ever seen. Do they cut out things like this? This is classic Lucas dialogue. Like Yoda, seeing you alive brings warm feelings to my heart when he sees Padme like walk in into this little congressional meeting that they're having with Chancellor Palpatine. It's just, I remember the first time I'm like, what? what? That's Yoda saying that? Like, I don't know. This this dialogue here is, it's cringeworthy at times. Were they friends? I don't remember them hanging out too much in the previous movie. Well, it's been 10 years. You can think that they might have hung out. Yeah, I guess anything's possible. He went to Naboo to watch them raise the crystal ball <laughs> in celebration. The big cuts from the IMAX version were that Anakin and Padme's first encounter in the after the elevator's gone. Anakin doesn't get to ride the big Naboo cow. And the political discussions in Palpatine's office were cut. Oh, man, that, better film already. So that those were the biggest cuts right there. But yes, you've got all these senators, including Bail Organa, uh, fat blue Twi'lek with a hot green Twi'lek, and Jar Jar. Yeah, barely. I remembered it this way, and boy, he is as non-present as you claim he was last week, Arnie. He is a non-issue for me in Attack of the Clones. Here's the strange thing. I feel like Lucas, he's like, okay, you, you don't like him. I'm going to cut him down in this film, but I'm going to give him more power. Like, he is now a senator. Like, I feel like that's Lucas's <laughs> way of thumbing his nose to the audience. Like, it, it's a backhanded compliment. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll get rid of him, but I'm going to... Like, this is the character that is going to yeah. push 
the evil galactic empire into existence. Well, yes, but the whole idea that he would be a diplomat, that words and public speaking are going to be his forte. That's a funny scene when it comes late in the movie. when he's Dello Feligus. Yeah, yeah, that is, I mean, yeah, he's just not who you want to speak or really do anything. You really don't want him around. He is the Phantom Menace, but minimized here. She's got him contained. He's probably the representative of the Gungans. Keep in mind... Get tarples up there! They were all upset that the Naboo thought they were better than the Gungans. And so now that she's the senator from Naboo, they probably want their own representative. And Jar Jar was the peacemaker between the two cultures. This is why democracy fails. More interesting, she's no longer the queen. That, yeah, she is... The queen's elected. With a two-term limit. But a senator is installed by the queen. This is a weird governmental system they have here. I don't even really know why she's come here other than conveniently she will be running into Anakin, her new bodyguard. Well, it said in the opening scroll she's got to vote on whether to make an army of the Republic. And she is against it. She does not want an army. She says that the Separatists will see it as an act of aggression. So she is here championing for peace. So why does somebody want to kill her? I don't think it's that big of a hunt to realize it's probably somebody who wants the army. But what I don't understand is like when you get to that Senate floor, there are like easily 200 little booths there. She's one vote. Who cares what she thinks? She is like a leader of the people is how I took it. And I think how I've read it in books. And and she won't ultimately be there for the vote. Yeah, they needed to let me know that it was a crucial vote. Because, yeah, of course she's against it. But Naboo is a small planet. The fact that the whole universe is revolving around what Naboo thinks is bizarre to me. But, uh, okay, I, I get that we want to have our female character be influential, powerful, beautiful, and, yes, in love with the boy that's, he's gotten really tall. (laughs) It is ten years later. Hayden Christensen, okay. You know what? I'm going to give him the biggest compliment I ever can right out of the gate. He was awesome in Shattered Glass. The man can act. He didn't in Jumper. He didn't in Life as a House, which I saw in the build-up to this just because I was so anxious to see him act. Now, this is his first movie. Okay, this is his first film. But Life as a House came out first because this had so much post-production. But he is absolutely miserable. If I wanted to believe this is what Jake Lloyd grew up to be, I buy it. (laughs) Yeah, here's the thing. Jake Lloyd was a child. I I blame almost all of that on Lucas. Bad lines, bad direction. I would expect someone older to, I mean, did this guy go to acting school? Has he learned the craft? Because he is, he's bad. And he, but he's older, so I expect more from him. I saw him in Shattered Glass, and I did see Jumper, and I, I didn't remember him being a problem. So it, it was a surprise rewatching it to realize how bad he is. It, it wasn't my memory. My memory was not that he was terrible in this movie, but it certainly is true. He's every bit as bad as Jake Lloyd here. He, comes off petulant. Again, if we're supposed to see the fall of Anakin Skywalker, he should be 
pretty good at the beginning of this film, but he's already talking back to Obi-Wan. He's yeah. petulant. He's not hiding his feelings for Padme. He's right there. I'd much rather dream about Padme. <laughs> yeah. He's not hiding his New York accent either. I mean, yeah, it's really, <laughs> it is a non-performance. You're right. It is. I think he's Canadian. Well, it's from that region. I mean, there is an accent <laughs> there that I associate with New England. We'll call it it's, that. It's from the Outer Rim, Stuart. That's the Outer Rim accent. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, be that as it may, it was distracting. Yeah, his lines are bad. Uh, the flirtation is awkward. Yeah, this is not a great start to what is going to be a movie hinged on this romance. It's really important for this movie that we feel the beating heart of their love. It's the worst part of this movie. What do you think about the concept that was introduced here for the first time that Jedi are basically like monks? They cannot marry they can have no attachment lucas however did go on the record and say yeah they can have sex they just can't be attached to the person they're sleeping with <laughs> that, that works hey, I, you know i always considered the jedi to be monks it, it's just so weird after seeing the phantom menace though because they're such bureaucrats it it shattered that whole illusion i thought they'd be living in you know stone caverns or something instead of these nice buildings so yeah seeing what they came from in that last film it's just weird that they have all these rules now but yeah i never thought about could they marry or not though i think the point is they want to present the world of the jedi as being unfun that if we've been growing up wanting to be Jedi, we're now confronted with how stilted and boring and and how these guys need to lighten up. And this Anakin kid is the fun parade that is going to disobey. And, you know, this this could be like a teen frat party or something. You know, this could play like Porky's or something. He's here to shake it all up. No, and I like moments like they're in the elevator going up to see Padme and he jokes about what? They fell into a Gundark? Is, is that the species? Arnie? Yes, it's, they, it's a callback to Empire when Han tells Luke he looks strong enough to pull the ears off a of Gundark. Yeah, I like that, you know, you fell into that mess and I got you out. And I like that banter in theory. It's it's just executed so bad in this film, but I like those moments. I like the lightheartedness that I guess Obi-Wan brings to these films. Yes. Yeah, and I say the onus is on McGregor here because I enjoy this banter, but man, McGregor's carrying a heavy load to make me like it because he's playing yeah. off nothing. McGregor is so unfun in this movie. Like, we hate him. Yeah, no, he has lost his sense of humor this time. The way that he's written, we absolutely hate him. He's the cranky guy that won't let the star of this movie have any kind of fun whatsoever. You hate him. I actually really like him in this movie. No, no, no. I, no, I'm not. Hear what I'm saying. We are set up to dislike him a lot. He is written that way to be hated. We are to root for Anakin to want to disobey him because he's a nag. My God, everything is a rule. And yeah, by the end of it, I can't stand him either. I'm like, yes, please shut up. I'm not going to do what you say. And I actually think that gets to McGregor's performance. Like, it gets him down in the way he's acting. He just doesn't have that spring in his step that he did with Phantom Menace. Like, where I really enjoyed him there. Here, he does seem a little more dour. Like, he's just not into it as much. Maybe he's been talking to Portman too much and listening to her bad talk and how she's not going to act in the film. You guys are really watching the different movie than I am because... 
I think he brings a Han Solo swagger to this movie. He brings that kind of jokiness. He's the one with the funny lines. Yes, he's the Jedi Master. Yes, he's got to instruct his students in the ways of the Jedi. But I really like him in this with when they're doing the speeder chase and all that, his little quips, the little laugh with the gun darkness. He is my favorite character in this movie. And I just love Ewan McGregor's performance here. There's not a lot to root for, though, Arnie. I mean, that that's... Yeah, I agree he's the best thing here. That's not saying much, though. No, no, I, you know, I would actually think that his performance is dipped. In the last movie, I felt like he was the upstart and that Neeson was sort of the wet blanket. And so when he got to fight or when he got to do something, it was lighthearted. It was fun. Here, because he knows he has to turn into Alec Guinness, I actually feel like he has to modulate to be like a parody of Alec Guinness. I feel like he's trying much, much harder this time to be that character from the original trilogy than he was in the last movie. And consequentially, he is not nearly as much fun to watch. I don't see it. I've always thought he was extraordinarily fun in this and certainly one of the best parts of this movie. And not saying that as in this movie sucks and he's good, but saying that as in I really enjoy what he's doing here and what he's given to do here. When he, We'll talk about it as he goes through, but all this investigating he gets to do is the best parts of this film. Ooh, oh, okay. Well, we'll have things to debate then. Yeah, I, I, I actually think I'll be on Arnie's side here, but what's interesting is that, you know, we know that there's going to be a hit. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that we understand Amidala's life. She already, they tried to blow her up. We know they're going to try again. We know Anakin is going to be involved in saving her here. I'm not going to say that I dislike this attack or the chase to get the assassin. What I'm going to say is this is the first time where I feel like what I'm watching doesn't look like it's part of the Star Wars universe. That what I'm seeing actually feels like a different movie entirely. It kind of looks like Blade Runner or Fifth Element. I think they do that on purpose. I definitely got a Blade Runner feel and later on when he's at the restaurant, they drop Tyrell oh. as a system. So I think it's an intentional homage. It might be an intentional homage, but it takes me out of this universe. I don't feel for the first 20, 25 minutes of this movie that I'm watching Star Wars. I mean, my feeling with this whole chase, you know, these bugs come in that I guess know to bite Padme and kill her. The Jedi, of course, sense them. And you, yeah, you get this whole chase where Obi-Wan jumps out the window and he's hanging off this little droid and Anakin, does he steal a cruiser or is that like his personal cruiser? He does indeed steal the first cruiser he comes across. It was funny because Lucasfilm had a website called holonetnews.com, which was like a newspaper from the Star Wars universe, and it actually had a resident complaining about his car being stolen. <laughs> All right. Well, but my feeling is you. It is, this is so heavy CGI. Like, I guess, yeah, we saw that in The Phantom Menace at times, and I feel like everything here, they're standing, like, in a green screen, and there are times where, like, the angles aren't right. It, yeah. If you're saying it doesn't feel Star Wars, I, I guess to if I'm going to say that, I don't mind the Blade Runner homage. It, it's just the plasticity of everything at this point, this chase. I want to feel adrenalized by it. I'm not enjoying the jokes and Anakin jumping out of his ship and just free falling because he knows he'll land on this bounty hunter's car. Some of the sound effects are cool, but the plasticity just doesn't work for me here. It, It takes the excitement away. I thought it was pretty good. I did get to see this in 3D at Celebration in Germany, 
and I thought it looked great there. I know this doesn't look photoreal, but I found the speeder chase to be a lot of fun. I like Anakin's piloting. There's one moment where I know that they composited like Obi-Wan from one take and Anakin from another one where they're falling and Hayden Christensen has this weird maniacal laugh going on for no apparent reason. Like when he, when Anakin is like flipping around Zam Wessels, the bounty hunter's ship, and he's like stuck in between like those prongs that stick out in the front and then like flips out on top. It just looks bad. I never noticed that until this watching, Jacob, but yes, that looks bad. Oh, it, it's bugged me, yeah. It's always bugged me. But the rest of the chase, I mean, that there are bits of the chase that look bad. The majority of the chase, Coruscant itself, it's so vibrant, so colorful. The thing I hate about this chase is John Williams' score. He decided to bring in some electric guitar and things. It doesn't sound like Star Wars to me. I'm like, what is this music? Uh, uh, yeah, I, that's part of the vibe, too, is, yeah, the Williams stuff, which I felt was, like was off in the last movie is really off here. I want to emphasize, I'm not disliking this movie. They want to have this chase and do whatever. It just doesn't feel like I can connect it to what's going on. What's really weirding me out is like, this is Darth Vader and he's just become like in a cop movie. Like like all of a sudden this is like, you know, Beverly Hills Cop or something like that. I, I just feel like, oh, they're, they're just going into bars and, and roughing up people and flashing badges. I'm like, that's not what I saw Darth Vader doing, ever, or any of the Star Wars characters. <laughs> I don't even get Obi-Wan when he goes into this bar. He's like, yeah, you go find this bounty hunter. I'm just going to sit here and have a drink. Like, Yeah, this just feels like a different world or something. This is Minority Report or something. I don't know what, <laughs> Philip K. Dick or something, but this is not Star Wars. And I like when he goes to the bar. I laugh out loud every time with Ivan Slezbagnano, who is that actor from The Matrix. Do you want some death sticks? You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I'm laughing here. Uh, okay. Is that like a no is that a no smoking plug or something? Is that for the kids too? No, it's just making a joke that the Jedi mind trick can make people go home and rethink their life. I mean, death sticks. No, they're making them not smoke death stick. <laughs> if you want to put a death stick as a cigarette, then you can go ahead and do that. What else would they be? It's Star Wars. They do they're spice smugglers. God only knows what kind of junk they're on. <laughs> Uh, see, here I was, thought you would be mad about the PC element. I'm mad just about, again, this dialogue, like, before they go into this bar, that he's a she, and that she is a shapeshifter. Like, it's just, ugh, ugh, I'm, like, cringing with so much of this dialogue. It just, I don't know, it, it feels off to me. I guess what it really feels like is there was a lot of, like, syndicated television sci-fi on at this point, and this feels like if they were going to bring Star Wars to television, and suddenly we're going to have these Jedi going around and busting up bars and stopping assassins and all of that. Where's the scope? Where's the sweep? Where's the spiritual journey that defines really all of Star Wars, even? Even in the last movie, we knew that that little kid had a destiny. There was some prophecy that meant that he was special. Here, he is the opposite of special. He's a working Joe. But I think that this is to show him bristling under the duties of a Jedi. He's You know what, though? Show that in a war, in a battle, not walking the beat as a cop. <laughs> hey, aren't you inspired by the border dispute on Ancion from which he came? They actually wrote a book about it. Yeah, show that! <laughs> I would much rather No, don't! Watch. Don't show me that border dispute on Ancion. The book sucked! 
I, I don't know any of the words you're saying, but it, 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 you're agreeing with me, right? This feels small for him. And I get that, yes, you want to establish that he is suffering under the rules, but did you want it to feel like he's the wild Eddie Murphy cop and everyone else wants to keep him in line when he can't be tamed? Arnie likes Beverly Hills Cop, so. Well, I do, but I don't see it that way here. What I see this as is a slice of life on what the Jedi were before the war. They were investigating an assassination on a senator. I don't mind seeing them in a daily routine. You gotta think, this was a time of peace. They were the guardians of peace. They weren't out there fighting wars. They were out there keeping the peace. And I liked seeing what a Jedi day-to-day life looked like. A glimpse in the life. I don't know. We, we get all these talks about aggressive negotiations. I mean, there are systems leaving the Republic. Have that be the backdrop of showing their day-to-day life, trying to negotiate and be diplomats and stop these people from leaving the system. That would feel big as opposed... I get it. They're, they're trying to protect a senator, but it does feel small. Like, it feels, like you said, Stuart, like a, a TV cop show at this point. Yeah, like a 60-minute show or something like that. I just, I just want scope. I want Squeep. I want to be connected to the way I felt about all the other movies, including the last one in its best moments. This is just a different world. This is a spinoff. But keep in mind, this was also Lucas being reactionary. He had gotten so much guff about that last movie. South Park, I think, made a episode that had George Lucas going all the accused on people's childhoods. Oh, yeah. Did that come out after the episode? It's yeah. funny. I mean, I, I think people that claim that any film or effect in a film being redone is raping their childhood, but that's a funny episode. <laughs> it is a funny episode. But this is his reaction to it. Jar Jar is minimized. He was trying to be defiant. He said he was going to make the movies he wanted to make, but we all know that Jar Jar was supposed to be a bigger part of these movies, and Jar Jar was always intended to die in episode three, but Lucas didn't want to give in to the haters, so Jar Jar actually <laughs> survives now. But that would have a different impact if they did it. I mean, that would be met with cheers. It would never be the, the teary tragedy that they that he'd want it to be. But... I think this change in tone is intentional and bringing us something new. And I'm liking the chase, but she's working for Django Fett. We talked last movie about the universe getting smaller, and now we have Django Fett. I remember you get this shot of Django, which you get at this point in the film where he has his jetpack and flies up in the air after killing Zam. And I remember thinking, oh, I, I didn't know if that was going to be Boba Fett, if that was just a Mandalorian. It was something I was excited about when I saw it in the trailer. It was After seeing that romance thing, seeing someone that looks like Boba Fett did get me excited. Me too. I was not thinking about the shrinking of the universe. I was thinking, hey, they're bringing this back. We're getting a chance to further explore this fan favorite character who people love, but he never really did anything. And I'm confused that a bounty hunter needs to hire another bounty hunter to kill someone. <laughs> well, what confuses me, he hires such a bad bounty hunter. Like, Obi-Wan is hanging on that droid, and what does Zam do? She shoots that droid instead of just shooting Obi-Wan. Like, th- this is the wrong person to hire. I like that Obi-Wan jumped on the droid because it finally shows him being reckless as Yoda accused. Again, it all feels weird to me, and it gets weirder. I mean, this feeling doesn't go away because then, after this is all over with, of course, it tells them who hired them, but was that a a name or was that half a sentence? Was it a different language? No, she was hired by 
A bounty hunter called Django Fett is what she said. And no, she doesn't. She says, we Shanti Shlimo. Well, that's her death words. But after she said she was hired by a bounty hunter named Django Fett. Oh, she said Django Fett? I didn't even understand it. Okay. I had trouble understanding what she was saying. I think that's clear. And then that's <laughs> going to turn Obi-Wan into like, you know, Mickey Spillane or something. Like, so all of a sudden he's hanging out in dive <laughs> diners and knows all the people there and is... What's going on here? Here's what bugs me is like, okay, Obi-Wan's going to be a sleuth detective here. He's going to crack the case, except he doesn't do anything. He's stupid, just like all the Jedi in this film. He has this dart. Oh, my robots can't tell me what it is. So I'm going to go to this bar and have someone else tell me what it is and where to go. And I think that this is actually Lucas working on a theme about the ignorance of the Jedi. Oh, no. Yeah, he's very blunt about the themes in this film. There's Brian. Is the neon. And here, I think if you look at this film, the whole thing is about the difference between knowledge and wisdom, and here it is coming through. I like that this implies Obi-Wan has a life. Obi-Wan has friends. That's something the Star Wars films haven't really done, except for Han seeing Lando, is letting us know these people are actually three-dimensional characters who have lived full lives. So to see Obi-Wan call upon an old contact, even if he is a terrible CGI creation, is pretty fun for me. I wish he did more in the saga than this one scene. I wish there was a bigger point to introducing him, but I like that he comes here and has his lines and is this kind of seedy. You get the impression that he's not just a restaurateur. He used to be a miner. He knows who the cloners are. See, I feel like this is, I just can't imagine Obi-Wan always coming here for some Jawa juice. Like, <laughs> And do they squeeze the Jawa for the juice or do they pulp it? <laughs> I didn't think that far about it, but this is a weird movie. And again, I just, I hate how everything is spoken in slogans here. Like every character, as Obi-Wan goes along trying to crack the case, which he won't do, everyone else is going to crack it for him. It sounds like, Jacob, you haven't forgiven Lucas for ruining Jedi for you. That you wanted them to be these bad eyes samurai and they're not they're kind of buffoon well yeah that is a problem for me if you're gonna go back before the defeat of the jedi when they're wiped out i want to see them in their glory at some point even if it's just one film like the the fact that everything here is just going to be a slogan that obi-wan is told i thought you would know the difference between knowledge and ha 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 wisdom it's just it, it seems to me like you're looking to pick some nits here jacob I that's really... a bad line no the, everything is clunking you over the head in this film everything is cringeworthy to me hands down everything that i'm seeing here in this first half hour is better than anything i saw in the first half hour of phantom menace i tend to agree i like the mystery i like seeing the jedi work i like to see obi-wan thinking calling on some friends i do wish obi-wan was a little smarter than a five-year-old if he, he would I, lose I, the yes. are you smarter than a youngling television game <laughs> show because he has to go to yoda and i mean to me it's screaming there's gravity here but no planet um it's cloaked or something like i knew that right away he, he was told, oh, there's the Camino system there. And then that librarian who must be a secret Sith because she is such a jerk to Obi-Wan. Like, if it is not in our archives, it doesn't exist. No, she's just a librarian. Yeah, that's the stereotype. Her job is to go around going, shh. Yeah. yeah. But come on, it's kind of funny, her egotism. If it's not in the archives, it doesn't exist. No, because the answer is obvious. It speaks to a society that's failing. What it says is that these people deserve to fall. 
quite frankly, that they're on the precipice of falling and they're trying to keep up illusions and this is all going to cave. I mean, the fact that Yoda, even when they discover, the five-year-old says, oh, someone erased it. Yoda's like, who, why, harder to answer. No, Dooku? You, like, you've already brought him up at the beginning of the film that like this political idealist is going around trying to disrupt the galaxy. Maybe it's him. It's not a mystery. But again, they're deluded. They don't think he would be this duplicitous. I mean, he is behind the attempted assassination of Amidala. But right there, Kiati Mundi's like, he's a political idealist, not a killer. He's one of only 13 Jedi to ever leave the Order. The Lost 13, they're called in the books. And they don't think he's completely lost his way. He just returned to his life as a count versus staying one of the Jedi. So here's the thing. I like detective movies a lot, and I like Blade Runner and that kind of sci-fi noir and all of that. So we're getting the Lucas version, and, and I think why you're mad, Jacob, is it's not as smart and sophisticated as any other kind of sci-fi noir we would get. It is still in that Star Wars aiming for younger audience kind of mindset. So, yeah, it's just not that sophisticated. That said, I do kind of like it. I mean, I do enjoy watching Ewan McGregor crack this case as rudimentary as it is. Even though we are five steps ahead of him, I guess I'd rather be doing this than watching Jar Jar, which was, I guess, the only other option. And I like the way we just get to see him in life. Keep in mind, these guys are Jedi. They can use the Force whenever they want. He doesn't go over to the table to pick up that little hologram ball. He just has it fly to his hand. The casual use of the Force, the confidence he has. Undeserved confidence, because he can't figure out where Kamino went in the archives. The easiest mystery ever to solve. Well, it's, it is a mystery as to who would have changed it. And I can't believe that they are blinded to the idea that there's corruption within them, because technically speaking... They would know if there was an evil amongst them, that the Force should tell them. We're going to find out by the end of this movie that, yeah, the Jedi don't, they're not good with the Force anymore. That's surprising. I like intrigue, and I like the idea that they're setting up this privileged class that didn't think something could go wrong, and somehow something has. One Jedi knows and is going to go in. And this is a 70s conspiracy movie. I love those. So I'm cool with the, him flying off and finding out all about this army. What brings me to this movie and holds me to this movie is the idea that the Federation has been corrupted and one Jedi is going to find out who. And I was really into that when I saw this like five times during the summer it came out. I, the fact that we find out the Jedi are losing their power. That's cool. I was so excited because I thought that was actually going to play out. But the thing is, we're just, we're just told everything. We're told. I want to see that happen. And I, maybe you could justify it because that dinosaur looking Jedi in the arena gets shot down really easy. But I, I want to really see what these Jedi are going through. And I don't feel like I'm getting that. I feel like... Lucas, just like he's like, oh, I got to come up with a story now for Phantom Menace. He's doing that here and he's got ideas, but nothing is getting flushed out for me. He could have used another writer. I'll give you that. He had another writer. This was co-written by Jonathan Hales, who worked a lot on Young Indiana Jones, as well as The Scorpion King. And mm -hmm. Scorpion King, that explains a lot about this ending. Okay. But so he gets to the water planet of Camino, and I'm thinking Lucas is running out of planet types. <laughs> he's <laughs> Deserts, forest, uh, snow, earth, wind, fire. We'll get fire next week. Yeah. Now we got the water. 
And he's introduced to the close encounters of the third kind aliens. (laughs) I like that he's going to these references. He's bringing in intentionally this type of design. I do find it funny that all of a sudden, after not seeing a Kiwi in four Star Wars films, we find out that Kiwis have been cloned hundreds of thousands of times and are taking over the universe right when production happened to move to New Zealand for cost savings. All I know is when I see Django and Boba, I like this pair. I don't necessarily like that... They're the clone. I would like to know why Django wants an unaltered clone. Like, did he always want to have a kid and he couldn't hook up with someone? Is he infertile? That was explained in the video game if you want to go play it. It's really fun. It's really fun. No, I remember playing that game. Yeah, I I played a couple levels. You recognize the humor of saying something like that, of course. You keep going to books and games. Yes. I would like stuff to be in the film. It's a Star Wars universe. I don't care. I want it in the film. Where they go with this is really weird that there's a grand army of the Republic that the Republic doesn't know about that a dead Jedi ordered 10 years ago. Nobody's checked in on the progress of it. They just gave Jango Fett a condo to live in. (laughs) The Kamidos are really bad at picking up like on body language. Like, (laughs) Lobi-1's like, what? Huh? The Jedi ordered an army? What? Would you like to see it? You'll be very pleased. I was surprised they weren't evil. I thought that would have been the obvious way to play it is that they're going to, you know, try to kill this guy or or whatever. But no, they just they're happy to serve like they've been plugging away, doing this thing and forgotten. And they're just so happy to be acknowledged after 10 years. Someone has left their credit card there. I mean, (laughs) they got 200,000 clones ready to go with a million more on the way. They are raking it in. And I love Tamura Morrison. Of all the actors introduced in this film, Tamura is the best. He is an amazing person. You know, I know Tamura. I, I saw Once Were Warriors. He's good in that film. And Speed 2? And Barb Wire. Oh, but, well, no, I was thinking about the James Bond one. He was a Bond villain. It was, he, was he? Died Another Day, I believe. Oh, okay. You know, I, I'm familiar with him. I think is there's just not quite enough of him in this movie for me to really get excited about him. Like, we get some... But all we really know is that he's the man in the suit whenever we see a stormtrooper. And his personal drama, yeah, why he wanted a son clone of himself or what he really wants in life. He's just a simple man trying to make his way in the universe. I wish that I knew more about him. I guess it kind of halfway got there for me. I've never been a Boba Fett fan. I never was curious to know anything about him. I didn't want a prequel story, but they've teased enough here to make me wish that there were more answers. Yeah, I agree. He's not given enough to do. It's strange that in a movie this long, every plotline feels like it's given the short shrift. (laughs) Yeah. It's not the greatest pacing in the world. I'm not standing here saying this is high cinema, but I am having fun with it. And I do love the Mortal Kombat-esque Django versus Obi-Wan fight. Obi-Wan is told he has to arrest Django and take him before the Jedi Council. Of course, Django is not going to cotton to that. And Django has so many gadgets. And we get to see that, yes, Boba Fett didn't have to be hit with a stick and fall into a Sarlacc pit. He could have actually defended himself against Luke. And here we see him firing the rocket on his back, using wrist wires, using wrist blades to stop from falling. It's a fun fight. And when CGI Ewan McGregor does the Mortal Kombat Johnny Cage kick, it's I'm just having fun. 
Yeah, it's not bad. I- I'm having fun until, yeah, Ewan McGregor somehow ties that knot in midair while he's falling and does that weird little CGI flip. But no, the fight, yeah, it's fun. I'm, I'm glad there's something adrenalizing going on finally in this film. I, I enjoy this fight. I don't need a lot of fighting. I think that's the the lesson for <laughs> pleasing Stuart, which is obviously not what George Lucas made his money doing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that this it was right to have a fight in this moment because this hasn't been the only story being told. In parallel, we've had another storyline. There's even less action going on in that one. Yeah, here we have the love story. Anakin and Padme. Now, I still don't see what you said last week, Stuart, about Padme being in to the 10-year-old boy. Admittedly, she was only a few years older, but here, I think at the beginning, it shows pretty clearly she's not interested in him, and he's creepy. I said that back when we did the special edition Return of the Jedi that he's creepy. Amidala agrees. She doesn't like him looking at her. She covers the camera because he's just, like, staring. He is a creeper. She is. She does like him. She just is playing hard to get. No, no, that's not how I read it. She get a restraining order at the beginning of this film against him because yeah, he is. Well, I guess the problem is I never buy when they fall in love. Like I, so I buy when she's creeped out by him. Though she pulls that off. Like she <laughs> does not want to be around him when they're finally get to Naboo and she sh- totally shuts him down to say what the plan's going to be and embarrasses him. Like, I, I don't get it that she's falling for him. She still sees him as that boy. I think that's all an act. I think that she's in love with him from the first second she sees him. I think that there's lots of flirtatious looks here. I think she just doesn't want to admit it because she knows it can't be. For some reason, the laws are such that Jedi and ex-queens can't get together. Actually, Jedi just can't get together with anyone, and she's a politician and doesn't want a scandal. But I take her at her word when she says, you'll always be that little boy I met on Tatooine. That's how she sees him. She has memories of the cute little kid who gave her a Japor snippet. But, man, she's not Jared from Subway. I don't see sex feelings towards the 10-year-old. Well, he's no longer a 10-year-old, nor does he resemble one. I mean, he grew, like, five feet in the time that happened here. He's distractingly tall, quite frankly. They actually had to increase his size somewhat, but they, because they wanted someone as tall as Vader. As tall as oh, David Prowse. Oh, that makes sense. I'm like, I thought they were just going for Liam Neeson again. But yeah, he, okay. That's right. He's got to turn into Darth Vader. I forget that. I swear <laughs> to God, I look at this guy. I don't see any Darth Vader at any time in this movie. There's one scene a little later where they're going to literally make you see Vader. But Yes. <laughs> really? Did I miss it? We'll yeah, it's there. subtle. But they end up, they're on the planet, and he's basically a stalker, and he's petulant. Obi-Wan's holding me back. Yeah, unlikable. Really, just, yeah, annoying. I'm supposed to be won over by this guy and want to see him fall from grace. I'm supposed to be seeing the original trilogy, Luke Skywalker, if it had gone a different way at the end of Return of the Jedi, and he had gone evil, and I would have been torn up. But the way Jake Lloyd played it, I'm like, eh, you're kind of a douche. And now I'm like, you are just a jerk. Why can't the Jedi see that you are just like dark side (laughs) magnet here? I just never wanted to see Darth Vader try to surf on the back of a space cow. That is hysterical. Especially with the CGI they use here. Which, though, I think by the end of this film, that is the character arc here, because he's going to learn to ride other animals and stay on them by the end of the film. (laughs) That's... With equally bad CGI. 
No, it's better CGI later. The space cow is especially bad. I think the reason that scene was cut from IMAX is because that cow just wouldn't hold up on that 120-foot screen. <laughs> Although, it is kind of fun when literally he and Padme go for a roll in a hay and she ends up straddling him. Oh, no, that's like my pet peeve in movies. Whenever people have to just laugh and laugh and laugh to show how happy they are, that is a bad writing crutch. Like, no one ever does that. No one actually says, you know what, I'm having so much fun today, and then just, like, rolls around on the ground. That, does, that doesn't happen. This is bad shorthand. And, yeah, the effects aren't good here. Like, everything that I feared about what he was going to do with CGI... It's the opposite is happening. Instead of like changing the performance to to show the intensity of the love, we have him like making a pear fly to her and her supposedly oh. eating it. Looks so bad. <laughs> There's it's so sad. It's pathetic, really. It's like, oh, like she clearly was just biting the air. Wouldn't you want to see the raw footage of her like passionately <laughs> gulping and biting at air? And what's worse is the CGI didn't put the fruit in the right spot so it like flies into <laughs> yes. her mouth. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, the, yeah. It's really hysterical. <laughs> yeah. They have tweaked this film. The digital release of this film was different than the print release because Lucas had more time to tweak the effects. But with the Blu-rays, the DVDs, the digital release, they never fixed the stupid fruit. Yeah, no. That, yeah, it's... Han shot second, but Padme bit first. Yeah, it's actually that every time they're using CGI, it's taking us further and further away from the performances. It's leaving these people who are questionable in their chemistry and making them look even worse here. I want to say, I think the line, you know, I don't like sand, it gets all over everything, is actually a really great line if it were delivered properly. That The fact that he hates where he came from and sees it as dirt that gets over everything could have worked. There are actors that could have pulled that scene off. The problem is 100% Christensen is dropping these lines. Just everything he's given. And not all the lines are pearls, but every single line he reading he gives is bad. Yes, I agree. The metaphor could work. Yes. Just yeah. bluntly, I don't like sand is harder. <laughs> and then him saying it is comical. For some reason, I remember them actually sitting in a sand dune when they said that. They don't. They're in a garden. <laughs> no. There's, there's no sand around. There's not even a sandbox. I mean, the whole scene's bad, though. You got Padme talking about we would swim to that island and lay out on the shore and try to figure out what birds were singing. Like, this is the most boring couple in the world. She's telling weird stories, like Paolo, the boy she fell in love with before she was queen, when she was really young, and the different humanitarian missions she went on. This is the weirdest courtship ever. I think they're trying to go for like a notebook thing and it's just coming off bad. You know, Titanic had been a big hit and I think that romance in general was looked at differently. You, you got to get the right people here. I mean, say what you will, James Cameron can take cheese and still make you feel something for the people that are saying cheesy lines. Here, I'm feeling for the actors. I feel bad for them that they're trapped in such a, a shoddy, badly scripted romance done by someone that has no affinity for people at all. I mean, literally doesn't even want to direct these people. And now he's supposed to be getting at their emotional core. Oh, good luck. Dear God. May the force be with you because Lucas ain't. <laughs> and, and we saw this work in Empire. Like, I love the love story between Han and Leia at the beginning on Hoth where they're just giving looks to each other and their banter. And then it all builds up to the end where I love you. I know Lucas doesn't have that in him, though. 
you just pointed out to me that I don't like sand is no better than my hands are dirty. My hands are dirty, too. But that works so well it in that does. movie. You get Kasdan writing, Kirsch directing, Ford delivering. It works. You get Lucas and the, the young Indiana Jones guy writing and then Lucas directing, saying faster, more intense and yeah. Christensen delivering. And it comes <laughs> off poor. It really does. This courtship is a little bit painful by the same token. I like what it's telling me. I like that I'm seeing love. I like that I'm seeing a positive emotion be Anakin's downfall. I like the entire idea. I'm just not very fond of the execution of all these scenes on Naboo until the one scene after the fruit where they have their little heart to heart in front of the fire in that really sexy dress that George Lucas himself designed for Portman. I I don't know why he decided mm. this was her I dress. I know why. <laughs> he probably also designed the midriff bearing Nexu attack later, but <laughs> which is hilarious, yeah. The only scene I buy, the only scene where Portman is able to elevate the scene and Christensen isn't ruinous is the fireplace scene where she's saying we can't do it, we can't live a lie. That works for me. Mm, works is a tough word here. I don't think I don't think it works because I don't think this couple works. But it's not one I have done in my notes as being awful. So I guess that's a success. <laughs> and Anakin's been having bad dreams. And all the Jedi know this, and none of them think it might be a vision. Obi-Wan's even dismissive, like, dreams pass, get over it. He hasn't gone back to see his mom in ten years. Yeah, this is the frustrating conflict, is that they could have saw that mom thing with a couple swipes of the lightsaber. They could have taken her with them. I never understood why they left her. I don't understand why Watto would sell her. I don't know why Anakin hasn't been there in 10 years and all of a sudden decides because of one of many bad dreams constantly he has, he must disobey his duty of being in hiding and take his princess into a dangerous environment. That makes no sense. Look, maybe Padme's more sentimental. She was there when Anakin was freed. Obi-Wan's kind of a jerk at this point. Like, all the Jedi, they wouldn't let him go see his mom. I get that Padme would be the one that would go, oh, yeah, we should probably go do this. Yeah, I like that. I got the impression this dream was more intense. Maybe I'm remembering things I read in the novelization. Probably. Was it faster? <laughs> and more intense. <laughs> no, actually, it was longer and had all the things cut. But... This is where their story gets good for me. As they go back to Tatooine, Watto's fallen on hard times. I actually feel bad for the poor slaver. He's looking beat up. He hasn't shaved in a while. All of his possessions, he used to have that shop. Now he's just got like a broken pit droid that he can't even fix. I love when he realizes who he's talking to. He does the little like fist thing. What do you know? I, I, I love Watto in this. I remember a scene from the trailer that I guess they cut out, and I don't know if you remember this, Arnie, but there was a whole thing where he's like, Annie? And Anakin gets really pissed off. He's like, don't call me Annie anymore. I don't like that name, or, or something to that effect. Well, would you want to be called Little Orphan Annie? I mean, that really, not great. <laughs> and then Watto had fallen on hard times, so he sold his slave to a man who, and this was really detailed in some books, fell in love with Shmi and bought her so he could free her and marry her. I think that's sweet. I knew what they were doing. I'm like, oh, wait, they're going to lead it back to those people living in the igloo in the desert. They, for some <laughs> reason, George Lucas feels like he needs to explain 
everything that we saw in the original trilogy. Well, no, you do have to under you do have to explain how Owen is Luke's uncle. That is mandatory. Yeah, because Lucas didn't do the easy route and just have him have a brother. It, yeah, so now it's this convoluted route. Oh, I didn't even think about that because yeah, they're Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru. I never cared about them. Who cares? They're boring. They're farmers. Yeah, yeah, but it would be seen as a glaring problem if, like, Anakin was an only child. A glaring problem to a obsessive fan that has every figure, perhaps. Not a point of interest for me. It, obviously, Jacob would be really upset if he can't take sifo if we never had <laughs> Uncle Owen. I didn't need this answer, and I, I, I don't know, it... It's pretty blatant when he meets Owen. Hi, this is my girlfriend, Baru. I don't know that anywhere in the Star Wars universe they've ever used the word girlfriend before. It came <laughs> off a little thudding. But for all of the answers it gives by showing us Klieg Lars as Anakin's stepfather, and so Owen is Anakin's stepbrother, it raises a new question, because C-3PO is there on the farm. He stayed with Shmi, he finally found some clothes, but yet... Owen doesn't realize, hey, that's the droid that was living at my house for like a decade. Okay, now you're getting nerdy because they're droids. He's going to look different. I, I figure C-3PO, that's like a model number. I, I took it as his name, and there, I don't think all protocol droids are quite so prissy. And if you lived with a droid for a decade and you found this overly talkative prissy droid, I mean, wouldn't there be some kind of recognition when he shows up on a Jawa sandcrawler? I just don't think that this is the kind of thing that this trilogy ought to be even thinking about. Like, why even go here that we're trying to connect those dots? And for me, this is like the trilogy that set the rule for prequels. I There were prequels before this. We talked about Indiana Jones. Temple of Doom was technically a prequel, but I don't think anyone really thought about the rules. And Lucas, for better or for worse, is set up, and it's like we have to explain every little thing and tie every little thing in, which I think is the wrong way to go. You, you explain the important things, but let the world expand, not get smaller. I agree, and my problem is how he does it. First of all, I don't think C-3PO and R2-D2 really should be in these movies. They aren't functional. It's sentimental mar and marketing reasons that Lucas put them there. Okay, if you're going to put them there... You could have them both be Amidala's droids, except you want them to meet cute on Tatooine. Okay, you could do that. But by the time you follow this to its conclusion, and he's living with Owen and Klieg at the moisture farm in Moss Eisley, you're going out of your way to create conundrums rather than answer questions at that point. It's not a huge conundrum for me. I guess super fans can debate how much the uncle should remember about this is going to happen. About 23 years later. Okay, 23 years later, he should remember this droid. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, Arnie. I, I don't care. That's not what this, this trilogy should be making me ask. I'll just put it this way. It was a huge mistake to have Vader come from Tatooine. We should have gone to a different planet and met a whole new cast of characters that explained an entirely different setup. That they had to go back to Tatooine and say that his childhood was some version of Luke's childhood is really, really monotonous and defeating, really, to the nature of Star Wars feeling large. I didn't want to go back to Tatooine last week. I didn't want to come back this week. But this is 
to me, one of the best things Anakin does in this movie. He gets there. He takes that speeder bike out. They bring back Duel of the Fates from the last movie, making it thus the best song in this movie. There is one great visual before Anakin takes off that you, you skipped. Like, yeah. it's done in shadows. That's supposed to look like Darth Vader, right? Like, it, yes. the, that, the shape of his head is not <laughs> the shape you would get from an actual shadow of Hayden Christensen. Right, when... He is saying goodbye to Padme on that wall is quite clearly the shadow of Darth Vader. Oh, okay. I didn't notice any of that. You, you didn't think it was weird that they have the, like this whole scene that's just shadows against a sand igloo? No, I didn't think much about it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the best. Yeah, I guess I'm just not that intrigued by what's going on here. That I, Yeah, I remembered this. This is one of the faint memories I had, was that he was going to go, and I didn't know when they got called Tuscan Raiders. I thought that was a football team, but he's <laughs> I, I call them sand people. That's what they are to me. And he goes and kills a bunch of sand people. I couldn't remember why. They have his mom for what actually is complicated and arbitrary reasons. Yeah, they had her for a month. I was wondering what was going on, because they kept her for a month. The Kleeks says she was kidnapped a month ago and he she and Agnon finds her she's still alive they, they're doing something with her and she's tied up on like an S&M rack with her back out I think there's I mean Lucas he created a Sarlacc he has some weird ideas <laughs> I think there's some perverted sand people things going on here I I just say what killed her I do find it Yoda-like convenience. Oh, you're mm, here. I yeah. can die. Yeah. But what did she die of? What were the injuries those sand people inflicted? Yeah, I don't really... Again, my curiosity is not going there. I don't want to think about the brutality she suffered. I get it. She was barely clinging on to life. And did she think she was going to see her? You know, I know sometimes when people are at death's end, they hold on for a special moment, but she had no reason to believe that a rescue was coming or that she would see her son again. So, I mean, if you drop a line that she's been calling out to the Force to, to see her son one last time or something, I mean, oh, she didn't get knocked up by the Force. Yeah. That would have at least given a reason that she's still alive at this point and then suddenly dies. Yeah, but the point is that she's going to die and that this is this is it. This is our Vader explanation. Like everything that's going to come later is because his mom died by sand people's hand. This is showing that Anakin's weakness is attachment. The whole movie, the Jedi have been telling him attachment is forbidden. But yet in the first movie, Yoda saw through him he could and knew that his attachment to his mother was a weakness. He was a 10-year-old child. Okay, I want to see Yoda at the moment his mom died and see if he was all, you know, unemotional about it. He was taken away from his mom when he was two. He never cared. Well, you know, you get my point. It's I understand theoretically what the discipline of being a Jedi is. And then there's being a living, breathing organism. And I, it, I don't see this as a fatal flaw that he cared about his mom. But the fact that he was so attached that he gave in to genocide, it's showing that this is the first step and showing his weakness. We This, Sifo-Dyas doesn't come back, but... This comes back in the next film, and it's an important character trait, and I like how this is explained. I may not like the bad acting confessional back at the farm, but I do like the music and just the way that we see Hayden slash that saber, and then we cut to Yoda and Mace talking like- And Qui-Gon! 
Qui-Gon comes back. Yeah! We, this was our first sign of a Force ghost. He's screaming, what? Anakin, no! You didn't recognize Liam Neeson's voice? Uh, Yoda's meditating, and you hear, Anakin, Anakin, no! No, I didn't know what was going on there. Yeah, that was Liam Neeson, which was a shock to Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they just take dub a couple of lines when he says Anakin in the first film? Yes, they did. <laughs> but yeah, this was our first sign of Force ghosting, and it is a shame that Yoda and Mace are like, Young Skywalker is in terrible pain. Let's never ask him about it. <laughs> yeah, let's not go and get him. Yeah. Let's not get him to a psychiatrist. Like, What did the prophecy say about all of this? What is the prophecy? I, again, I don't understand what they know and what they're doing. We're told on one hand that they're the super cool police force of the universe. On the other half... You know, if you catch them at the right moment, they'll be like, we're faking it. We haven't felt the force <laughs> in decades. <laughs> Yet they're able to sense Anakin's pain. Yeah. Well, they feel the force, but it's not as strong as it usually is. The dark side clouds everything. And that may be, I don't know, unpopular for super fans that love Jedi. I actually kind of like that as a concept. I like the idea that they're struggling and, and they're just trying to save face. You know, I think that's oftentimes why bad political decisions happen is is there's too much pride and they have too much pride to admit that they can't do their job anymore. And I like that. I, I liked it the first time I saw it. I still like that idea that these are the Jedi in decline. I would have liked to see them tough at one point. I would have even liked it more if we were shown this and not just Mace keeps saying, oh, should we tell the Senate? No, because people will take advantage of that. You know, it's it's we're just told this over and over. I want to see Jedi failing or or see their powers diminish. It, you got to really read into it to, to get that more than what you just hear from these characters. What's I going to do about it anyway? I mean, the Senate is looking like it's falling apart anyway. When when Jar Jar is there advocating on the behalf of the Emperor or Palpatine or whatever you want to call him, it's pretty <laughs> obvious at this point, right? I mean, the fact that he's modestly being like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. I'm like, anybody can see, even if you don't recognize the actor, you can see that this is a snow job, that he obviously is taking over with glee and gusto. I love when his aide, Masamita there, just turns and it's like such a play to the back row. Oh, jeez. It's, yeah. <laughs> if only Senator Amidala were here. And Jar Jar is such an imbecile. They're saying that she would vote for the exact thing she had been fighting against and speaking <laughs> against, but they're like, we only need someone strong. If only Senator Amidala were here. Thus prompting Jar Jar to get his Delo fella gets to create a bombad army. You would think senators would get, you know, like in California, I imagine like Barbara Boxer and Dianne Feinstein, they're both Democrats, they get together. So they're not releasing conflicting legislation. I, it's uh, bad senators on Naboo. I, I can see why it's the downfall of the galaxy here. Right. And what they're voting for is basically to put those clones that they didn't know they even had <laughs> No. into practice. Technically, what they're voting for is to give the Chancellor emergency powers. The vote previously was for an army. Palpatine does the end run. Yeah, I noticed that. It's very confusing because they've been talking about voting for an army and all of a sudden Jar Jar is saying, let's give emergency powers to the Chancellor. Well, they say that in the office when 
all of it's going down with Obi-Wan and Jango Fed and there's an army. They're saying the only way we're going to be able to deal with the Separatists is with decisive action. So the chancellor needs emergency powers. So that's how they get senators who were voting against an army to give in to an army is they give him the power to do whatever he wants. And he's like, all right, my first thing, we're getting an army. And it just so happens we have one. Right. Yeah, who told him about the army? I mean, I get it. He knows because he's probably the real sifo who ordered it or something. But did Yoda and Mace tell him? Because they know about it from Obi-Wan. But who tells the Republic about this army? Well, yes. In the truth of it, Palpatine is playing the entire war. He controls both sides. He's giving orders to Dooku, who is controlling the Separatist side, and he's giving orders to the Republic. So yes, he knew there was a clone army out there somewhere. But I think to the people, they just thought he was going to put like, Palpatine wants you posters all around and start recruiting. (laughs) I got to say, in general, I find this war... Hard to keep up with. When you say there's a clone war, I assumed that it was rebels, you know, human beings fighting against clones. I mean, the the wars in Star Wars are helpful when you can see one is human and the other side is faceless or, or menacing in some way. The fact that this is going to be clones in stormtrooper outfits fighting silly-looking robots, I forget who I'm supposed to be rooting for. Precisely. Lucas wants us to be complicated and realize there's no good side in war. Wow. Okay. Well, mm. (laughs) more, I think he really wants to play with our expectations, because I thought the same thing, and I see stormtroopers and I think bad. That I like. Yeah, the the fact that they're the good guys in this one and we know they're going to turn bad, that I like. That That's ironic. It, it does seem weird, though. You know, Newt Gunray has been before the Supreme Court four times and he still hasn't been found guilty. But they're able to dispatch this clone army super fast. Like, Emergency powers. That's what it's all oh, about. Oh, OK. That's the, that's going to explain everything. It's basically the Patriot Act for the Senate. Yeah, that's what I get. Although it should be said, this movie is... A little ahead of that curve, they would have have written this and been filming this pre-9-11. Right, I was just making an equation. No, I know, but it's funny how you could probably follow a through line to what ended up happening. But And what, what Lucas said to that, Lucas was talking about that exact kind of political corruption and powers in the 90s leading up to the prequels, and even in the 80s when he talked about theoretically the creation of the Empire— it's all about history repeats itself, and sure. politicians follow certain patterns of power mongering. Right. I mean, but he was just talking about in general. This is what happens in circumstances. He wasn't making a Bush criticism. It's important. It's important to point that out. No, that will come next week. No, but yes, it also helps that Lucas is a staunch Democrat. So the fact that it could be read around the time of release as a Bush criticism. Plus, let's keep in mind a lot of this was refilmed in late 2001, early 2002, a lot of these scenes, including later on the big treadmill robotic factory chase, as well as the scene of Anakin visiting Palpatine in Palpatine's office, all add-ins. So who knows what else was added in? I don't just think they're saying that the stormtroopers are the good guys and they're going to turn evil, to your phrase. I think what Lucas is saying is... We're going to view them differently, but they're always 
the army of the government. It's just a matter, again, keep in mind Lucas's age and when yeah. he grew up. Sure. And- Police are the bad guys. I, I get yeah. that. The hippies, the only good people are, are, are the common man. And that anyone mm-hmm. in a sense of power or authority is corruptible and could use their might against innocence. I, you know, it, I'm familiar with the philosophy. I don't think that's helpful, though. I, and I don't think that's the universe he's made of moral ambiguity. I think Star Wars has worked best when they're they're good guys and bad guys and the the bad guy is the is the one all in black and the, the good one is in the white robe I, I think it works best on that level so the fact that he's trying for for this kind of complexity it, i guess it's what makes this one feel like an anomaly I, attack of the clones is the weirdest star wars movie i've ever seen and i want to add that lucas was also clear on saying stormtroopers are not clones these guys aren't stormtroopers. Huh? Here, you have the Kaminoans saying clones are better than droids, but eventually they'll find out people are better than clones, so that the clones get replaced with regular troops who are signed up for stormtrooper. Oh, you've got to be shitting me. They went through all of this to design an outfit? A suit of armor, basically? I don't think the joy that those aliens went into was about putting on the white it was the the clone. The clone wasn't good. They could have just gotten people. Oh, brother. Well, we'll see with episode seven who's under the mask. Oh, my God. Well, I already know John Boyega's under one of the masks. He does not look like Tamura Morrison. Well, yes, but we don't know why. Okay. But uh, <laughs> they're trying too hard to obfuscate what should be obvious. Why are they making it this hard? These are the fucking stormtroopers. <laughs> Don't say, oh, no, later, there's going to be some other spree. No, tell us the story. You got to read all the books and play the video games if you want the story. No. You're finally coming to my side. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, that's infuriating. A prequel tells you what happened to set you up with what's coming. Not that we're going to tell you what kind of half happened, but got modified in some universe you're never going to see on film. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But what does feel like Star Wars is when we get into the climax of this for me. I mean, we we get Obi-Wan and Jango having this dogfight outside of Geonosis. I love the seismic charges that Django unleashes. I thought the projector was broken the first time I saw this film. You heard my story. You heard my story of seeing this. (laughs) When the film goes silent, I'm like, screw me. We're starting over again. (laughs) But I love that effect, yeah, because it's like going faster than sound and then the sound catches up. I don't understand why Obi-Wan hates flying so much because he's really good at it. He's like flying through this asteroid field like he's pretty dang good but this feels again this is like empire strikes back where we went through an asteroid field as well to get to this planet of geonosis so many things to say about this first of all this was the scene that made me realize ben burt gets his sound effect spectacle and then i went back and rewatched all the others and went oh there it is oh there it is this one because i thought the projector broke was <laughs> the one That grabbed my attention. And as for Obi-Wan not liking flying, I took it as because if he's being shot at, he can pull out a lightsaber and deflect. If he's in a ship, he's pretty screwed. 
And finally, you said Empire Strikes Back. That's ironic, because how does Obi-Wan escape? He hides on the side of an asteroid, just like Han Solo hides on the side of the Star Destroyer. And Lucas said, that's how Boba Fett knew to hang out is because he saw this trick before. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know he said that. I don't like that he said it, though. <laughs> Wow. I don't need that. Wow, yeah. I really didn't need that time. Boba Fett just can't be cool and knew how to find someone? Like, that's not enough? I think I liked it best when I didn't know. I, I love you, Arnie, for knowing all this stuff, but every time you tell me what Lucas actually said about it, <laughs> it makes me like it less. <laughs> And see, Stuart, that maybe that's where I'm coming from because I know a lot of what Lucas said, and I don't like it, and so it's affecting my viewing of this film. Yeah, no, my ideas were cleaner, and I didn't have all of this waffling. I mean, they could open up an IHOP with all this waffling that he's doing <laughs> later here, but let's just get to Dooku because we haven't had a hearty laugh in a while. <laughs> I think we have, but Dooku. Also known as Darth Tyrannus, also known as Christopher Lee, also known as the guy who had his face pasted on a stunt yes. double. <laughs> he, did, he didn't do these flips. They didn't do some wire food here. <laughs> he did. He could barely walk, let oh. alone saber fight. I noticed that when he fights Anakin, and it's like they're just flashing flashlights at each other. Uh huh. <laughs> but oh. yes, Dooku is here. Here's what I find interesting. I didn't call this out on previous ones. The Sith always tell the truth. The good guys always think the Sith are lying, but the Sith tell the truth. In Empire, Luke, I am your father. Yep, that's right. Obi-Wan was the liar on that one. And then in the sixth movie, the Emperor saying, oh, we've set a trap. We're going to do all this and you need to kill your father and take his place by my side. He should be in very honest here. And Luke is disbelieving and not understanding. In here, I can't believe it. But Darth Tyrannus, apprentice of Darth Sidious, is sitting there like, the Senate is being ruled by a Sith. Well, who rules the Senate? Palpatine. So this shouldn't be a big jump for Obi-Wan, but instead they just decided- Have you decided... seen Obi-Wan's sleuthing skills earlier in the film? <laughs> <laughs> no one was there to tell him the answer, so he doesn't know it. He just needs an eight-year-old boy with a blindfold yeah. <laughs> on to explain it to him. <laughs> I like the chains he's held in, that little floaty prison thing. And I wonder, I honestly wonder to this day, what Dooku's motivation is. Was he so deep undercover? Was he trying to stop the Sith by corrupting it from within and pretending to be the apprentice? Or did he start off pretending and then actually became the apprentice? Or is he just trying to mess with Obi-Wan's head? I don't know, but... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I feel like I'm just about to drown in confusion here. What, what are you saying? That, that you don't understand that... Why is Tyrannus, or Dooku, yeah. outing his boss as head of the Republic? It's his boss? Yeah, he works for Sidious. Yeah, the Emperor. They're playing both sides. I, I think oh, maybe... Oh, no. No. Are you kidding me? You didn't get that when we were talking about the army? Embrace your anger, Stuart. <laughs> Come to the dark side. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The one thing I really needed to believe is that Dooku was a different faction than Palpatine. No. Nope. He's the same. He goes and sees him at the end. It, it's the fact that Palpatine's playing both sides. He's just like the first movie. This is like the Civil War happened and the North and the South were in on it. Abe Lincoln and the, the Rebs were hanging out in secret or whatever. What? 
the hell is this even about? Can, do you not know the definition of war? Two sides fighting each other. Not one person contriving two different factions. This this is not a war. But that's what he's doing to get power. Yes. He's making this chaos in the galaxy so people will keep giving him emergency powers and he can consolidate it and take over. He's playing off their fears. I agree with you, though, Stuart. Oh. This is such a convoluted plot. That does not need to be. Why cannot Christopher Lee just want to break away from what is obviously a failing society and to do it with droids? Why does it have to be more complicated than that? Because that's much more interesting than... Yes, it's very more interesting. interesting than what Lucas could come up yeah, with. Why, why isn't that good enough? That is a war. Palpatine doing all of this is just shenanigans. Just call it star shenanigans. This is not a war. Well, I think the point is this is the rise of the Emperor. And so, yes, he manipulates everything. It's to show the reach of the dark side and how blind the Jedi are that they can't see through it. He starts a war just to get powers. And I love his little speech right after he's voted emergency powers. I love democracy. I love the Republic. The powers you give me, I will hand down when this crisis is over. No, you won't. No, I get that that guy's contriving it. Why can't he just know that that's what the other side's going to do? Like, I thought that the contrivance was that he knows Christopher Lee is going to react and he will counter as such to to make the war he needs to happen. It's much more interesting if Dooku, yeah, is that political idealist. Yes! And he's the one smart one in the Jedi and breaks away and he's trying to recruit other Jedi to, because he's seen the light. He's seen, ironically, the dark side. That is the light. I'm curious, Stuart, if I'm breaking your mind with this information, what did you think was happening at the end of the movie when Dooku flies to Coruscant with the Death Star plans and is called Darth Tyrannus and calls Sidious his master? What did you think was happening? I obviously didn't understand a thing that was going on. I honestly <laughs> didn't know. And I still don't know. And you know what? At this point, I'm starting to not want to know. Like, I, I really wanted this to be much simpler than what it is. What you're telling me is that this guy Palpatine just had all of these people planted all over to contrive a war between two creatures what what's the goal what does he want power yes unlimited power we'll get that great line next week he wants to overthrow the jedi he wants revenge just push them there's no problem in taking down the jedi they're falling apart but there's so many of them they're formidable there are there's like three people in a room it's like sam jackson and a muppet and some fish with a goatee. Don't, didn't you see the end of this? Like, a hundred Jedi show up. Like, Sync was supposed to show up as Jedi, except fans revolted. But there's a lot of Jedi throughout the galaxy. They're just not all in the council. There's only like a dozen council members. How would we even know that? I mean, that's something to establish. Did you not see the end of this film with a hundred lightsabers? Where? In the Geonosid Arena. Oh, those, okay, so those are all Jedi, okay, those are the Jedi, all right. Yes, and those aren't even all the Jedi, that's just what they could muster in an afternoon. Okay. So, he needs to discredit the Jedi, it'll all be explained in episode three, his goals. But suffice it to say, at this point, he is playing both sides. He is Sidious, who is in charge of the Separatists, secretly, and he is Palpatine, who is in charge of the Republic, and it doesn't matter to him which side wins the war, 
because either way, he will get power. God, that is so not how to make a war movie. That is so... Okay, whatever. Wow. Well, before we get into war, we're going to go back to ancient Rome. We're going to have a Colosseum scene. You skipped the getting to the Colosseum where Anakin and Padme end up in a video game where they have to duck and dodge. Well, because Lucas skipped that too. That's all added later. I guess he just wanted this to go longer. I remember reading an interview with Natalie Portman where she had just walked out of the premiere and said, we came back for reshoots and I really thought George just wanted to abuse us. He has giant blue foam things coming at our heads, says duck, says jump. I didn't think it was going to be in the movie. And yet here it is. It's an entire video gamey scene with C-3PO like he did in Empire cutting the tension. This is such a drag. And oh, droids making droids. How perverse. See, I like that line. He always takes it too far, though. Like I like when he first sees it and and freaks out. Then you get that awful CGI, though, as he's riding that robot. <laughs> and then R2 has jetpacks for some reason. He That was a cut scene from episode one, too. Uh, there was a scene where... Stupidly, R2 falls off the platform of Coruscant. We're supposed to think he fell to his death, and then he just floats back up on jets. Why? Because they're CGI now. But yes, if R2 could fly, why did he fall into a swamp in Dagobah? It asks more questions than it answers, but it's just another action scene to add in so that it shows Anakin and Padme being captured. I kind of enjoy the scene, though. I like seeing them fight against this giant machine, even if I don't like animated 3PO. I just wanted to move on. I do like 3PO's head on a droid body, though. I like that. I found that to be funny. Yeah, I, again, the 3PO stuff in a measured amount, it's entertaining. I, Lucas, I don't think, understands where to stop, though, and it just keeps going. Yeah, I wasn't impressed with the scene, but I feel like like a lot of things we saw last week, it is just to yeah keep the adrenaline up. I mean, I don't feel like where we're going here. When when we get to an arena, I mean, you mentioned that one of the co-screenwriters worked on Scorpion King. I'm like, yeah, this feels like a, a different universe here. When we suddenly have all these mo- like, what's even the point? You're chained to a pole and these monsters come out and gore you like. That's not much of an arena match, really. I think it's just Geonosian execution. And I love the designs of the Geonosians. These bug creatures with their... Yeah, they're termites and they have their big mounds. Yeah, I love their guns that like shoot this like gelatinous liquid and they can fly. I think that's a pretty cool alien design. Oh, I thought they were like sonic air guns, and which was cool, whatever it was, because the Jedi couldn't use their weapons to block it. Uh, but the point for doing this, not only does it show off CGI technology, but it also means that they can be killed in mass, right? Like, th- that's all that this series is doing. Like, we can wipe out droids, we can wipe out bugs, because no one, you know, gets squeamish about bugs getting killed, but... But we're not going to have human beings killed and slaughtered in mass here. Wait till the next film. Yeah, you see these bugs get like comically cut like straight down the middle from Anakin's lightsaber. It's it, I, I think they even soften it up by making it look so cartoonish. But the point is that Anakin has come with Padme, yeah, to rescue the father figure. I kind of like that, that, that at least gave some credence to him losing his mother, is that this is the last family member he has. So he's going to do something risky to save a father figure. I thought at least justified why they got there, even though Obi-Wan is, of course, scoffing that, you know, they're tied to a pole right next to him to be executed. And we get, yeah, uh, the kind of chaos I was not expecting, really, 
uh, in this movie. Like, who thought that uh, a porky cat and this horned beast and all, <laughs> like... I mean, I guess it's a little like the Rancor. I guess we've there's some comparative to what before. But again, this feels like a, an entirely different movie. This feels like Clash of the Titans. Yeah, I'm Team Gunray here. Like, just shoot them already. Why is Dooku letting this go so long? And just, just shoot him and be done with it. But I, I think my favorite, like, unintentionally favorite funniest thing is when Padme, she gets attacked by the Nexu and it slashes at her and just makes a perfect midriff for her to, to show off that flat tummy. Wait a minute. She didn't have it before? No, it's because it got slashed. It took me like six viewings and collecting a lot of toys where I'm like, wait a second. When did her belly show up? And so I had to watch specifically for this horrible CGI scene where a non-existent cat claws at her and tears off her belly. Oh. So now she's in a sexier outfit. <laughs> that is, that's bordering on like Austin Powers. Okay. <laughs> Every attack you do to me only makes me sexier. <laughs> I, I do like new Gunray back here. I find him amusing. The way he is here and just wanting to finally see Amidala dead for the discrediting he did. I mean, he spent 10 years in court. The legal fees alone had to kill him. So his little petty shoot her and Dooku's patience, Viceroy, she will die. I just, I find that all quite amusing. It's comedy, I, you know, take it or leave it. I I wasn't laughing at, at anything, really, at this point. I was laughing about Mace and the purple lightsaber. I do have to laugh that Sam Jackson, he must have insisted that he, he was did. going to yes. get a purple lightsaber. It was a bonus feature on the DVD. He's standing next to Lucas. I think that this was, you know, he told the documentarian he was going to do this. He goes up to Lucas. He's like, so... How do you determine saber color? And he's like, well, bad guys get red, good guys get blue or green. And Sam Jackson's like, well, what about purple? I want purple. And Lucas just kind of looks at him and says, okay, you can have purple. <laughs> Which, of course, caused so much consternation among the fans. Is, is, is he really a Sith? Why is his between blue and red? It, it's got to be some conspiracy. <laughs> it's because he's a pimp mofo. Yeah, exactly, because he likes the color purple. Right? He's used it in his wardrobe many times. I will say, like, I've been bored throughout most of this film, but yeah, when he shows up with that purple saber and this party's over, this is where finally, like, the film, it's going to stay pretty entertaining for me from until the end. Yeah, he just comes in like a badass, like Sam Jackson should. He immediately puts a saber to Tamura Morrison's neck, and the facial reaction of Tamura Morrison, he's just like, you jackass, I'm going to get you. Just he's, he's, he's calm and cool, but he is... He's making notes. Not that it's going to help him from five minutes, but... And then a lot of people complained. There were fan trailers for The Phantom Menace about what it would be. And in one of those trailers and some of those Photoshop things, it was like the scene from Braveheart with lightsabers. That's what people wanted. I remember that. Yeah. So when all these Jedis rush in, sabers blasting to kill the beast, to kill the Geonosians, to kill the droids, it is giving me a geekgasm. This is what Jedi War is. This is what I've wanted in the prequels. Like, this is the moment. I've had to wait, what, almost two hours to get here and sit through the Phantom Menace, but here's what I really wanted. Okay, well, 
It's not necessarily what I wanted, but I can recognize they need to do something like this for a climax. And it's exciting. I mean, I'll give them that. It's kind of chaotic. And I can feel myself checking out. I think that's what's really happened. You're asking me, why didn't I notice all these things at the end? It's because I'm kind of... It's been a long time. It's time to get to an end. This is as close to blowing up the Death Star as we're going to get. And ironically, as much as I wanted this big Jedi rush to save the day, it goes on too long for me. Like, it's just, it's, it lacks some excitement. It, I don't know. I, they don't have a good choreographer. The CGI, at times, things just look really flat. And it's funny, if you just watch people in the background, just kind of like lackadaisically, like waving their lightsabers around at times, like not knowing if they're on frame or not. I don't know. I didn't notice that so much. I was just having a lot of fun with it. And they focus on the good Jedi. They focus on the ones who are fighting. You got Anakin riding and taming the Reek. You got Mace Windu squaring off against Jango. He gets beheaded, and that's pretty tough. You say only Geonosians and droids get it, but you see a shadow of the head flying out of the helmet for Django Fett. I think George Lucas has one idea. People turn evil when their parents are killed. <laughs> Boba Fett sees it. That, that's all that it was. It had to be violent and impactful because it has to be strong enough to make Boba Fett turn into whatever he's supposed to turn into in the original trilogy. Yeah, once again, a cool character gets a quick death. Like, not a whole lot's done with them. I, I don't know. Let the Fets fly off and have their own stories. <laughs> Stop dispatching them in the films. Actually, Boba Fett gets a pretty decent arc going on in the Clone War cartoon TV series. It takes a few seasons for it to actually become good, but it does become good. Yeah, I didn't last that long then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to watch that, although I'll watch the animated movie that I already watched. The only thing that takes me out of this scene, and I think I feel during this how Stuart felt during the whole last movie, C-3PO's Jar jar it up. This is such a drag. Yeah, just describe the movie up until now. There's <laughs> just too much. I think some of it is funny. Like, die, Jedi dogs. What did I say? That I laugh about. But there's just so much of cutting back to 3PO in all of this. It might be fair to say that we don't need 3PO in this entire saga. I just haven't seen a good reason to include him. Yeah, this feels like a continuation of what we saw in the droid factory where he's making his little quips. So I, if that annoyed you, here's more of it to annoy you. I, I don't know. I see it as continuation of that. I didn't mind it as much when that was like the focus was the antics in that room. But I didn't like him calling R2 idiot either. I don't know. That just seems rather simple an insult for C-3PO. He always goes base when it comes to R2. Yeah, but overweight glob of grease is poetic. Idiot? Yeah. But yeah, then we get the, the clone army showing up. Yeah, because the Jedi lose. They lose this. There's not only battle droids, but there's super battle droids that, I guess, shoot faster or something. I don't know, but I, you know what? I am going to give this moment a compliment. It's one of the things I remembered about the original, and I think it truly deserves its own Yes album cover. This, like... When it's just computer graphics shooting at each other and what have you, it's spectacular. That stuff looks great. I like it all except when they do shaky cam as if there was a real camera involved and it just looks bad. Yeah, it, it should be said when the clones show up, no clone armor was made for this film. It is all CGI. Yeah, not one suit. 
But I agree, when they do those shots, when this war breaks out and they're attacking the Geonosian ships and droids are charging and you get those, like, there's a dust shot where it's all dusty and you see clones, like, walking through this dusty scene shooting. I like this stuff. It's a little bit of a video game feel, but it's also exciting. Like, I'm finally excited we're getting clones attacking in this movie and a clone war. Yeah, I, 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 we're getting the start of the clone war. This is exciting. And all you need to do is just take Dooku out on the flying Vespa. That's like, anytime they cut to him on that, I'm just like, oh, he looks so silly. But <laughs> I, I got a Wizard of Oz, like that evil <laughs> yes, woman yes, who's yes. on the bicycle. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That is unfortunate <laughs> that you would make that connection. But obvious that wh- that you would, yes. He does not look like he's part of this battle. But he's just trying to get away with the Death Star plan. And yeah, this battle is tremendous. It may go on a little too long. And the Jedi, when they show up, may look like they're on a green screen theater stage. But all the rest of this is amazing. I do have a minor gripe. Why did clones need color armor? Stormtroopers were all fine, just white. But okay, they've got ranks. They need commanders and sergeants and variants to sell as toys. Yeah, but I also like just the plain white clones. This is what I paid my money to see. I had a clone action figure before this movie even started. It was a preview figure. I was so happy to see it. I love all the new ship designs that come out of this. The different walkers the Republic have that are precursors to AT-ATs, the weird spider things that the Geonosians have. It is all a hell of a lot of fun. The gunships that the Republic is flying. I, I know where they got the clones. I don't know where they got the military ships, but... I'm just going to assume they picked those up at during checkout as an impulse item on Camino. Yeah, they, they already had Sifo Dias's card, and he wasn't going <laughs> to refute the charges. <laughs> but the lightsaber fight with Dooku, I have to give it a few compliments. I didn't know how they could keep upping the game. They have a two-on-one lightsaber fight. We kind of saw that with Darth Maul. But when Obi-Wan gets a paper cut on his leg or a slight lightsaber cut... We get a two-saber fight. Anakin's fighting with two sabers against Dooku. That's pretty badass. Yeah, that was pretty badass of him. It is maybe his best moment in this movie. (laughs) And he's not talking. Yeah, but he quickly loses one. (laughs) Yeah, well, and he loses a hand, too. Now, my problem with this scene is, as you indicated, Stuart, when I first saw this, I thought they were going for a different way of showing a lightsaber fight. They couldn't repeat Darth Maul, so they're going to do a lot of close-ups and flashing lights. Now I realize they were just cutting around poor Christopher Lee's advanced years. Mm. It's so weird looking. Like, all of a sudden it becomes like this abstract art film. Why did they pick him? I guess because of Peter Cushing and and maybe Lucas loves Hammer Dracula movies or something. Yeah, you basically got it. Christopher Lee was a name. Keep in mind, he'd already been working in Lord of the Rings. He was already in New Zealand ah, for crying out loud. Of course. Okay. And... Then there was the Peter Cushing tie. They had Cushing in the original. They brought him in here. He's got a great voice. He's got a great presence. I like him as Dooku. Mm. No, I like him when he's talking and when he's giving his speeches. The lightsaber fight, yeah, it's okay. I mean, I like Christopher Lee. Don't get me wrong. I just, if you're going to have the character do this... You don't call Christopher Lee. What I really don't like is when we get into the fan fiction at the end here as he faces off against Yoda. One, because he uses Sith lightning. Like, he unleashes lightning against Yoda. That should be special. That should be a surprise with 
the Emperor. And uh, Lucas hates surprises because he wants you to watch this prequel before the original trilogy. It goes back. You watch it either four, five, six, one, two, three, or if you must, four, five, one, two, three, six. But you do not watch this as the second one. But it still takes something away, even if you've seen the Emperor use it first. Like, that, I thought that was something special for him. He doesn't even need a lightsaber. He's so evil. But no, it's just a dark side thing. I think it is cool that Yoda is able to, like, absorb it into his hands. Like, that's what I want to see Yoda doing. I want to see him using this, like, zen, something higher than a lightsaber. The fact that he pulls out a lightsaber and jumps around like a frog. <laughs> like, I thought that was kind of neat the first time I saw it, and then it started to really bug me. It's both, right? I don't know how to feel about it. On one hand, you have to sell Yoda as the complete package. You have to say he can pull out a lightsaber when necessary. On the other hand... It's so comical. It really does take this almost into the parody. He does jump around like a frog. I did have the advantage of being prepared for this. This was not in any of the trailers, but at Celebration, they had a trailer they never showed anywhere else, probably because they couldn't. They took Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trailer with the Spider-Man fonts and everything and all the different heroics Spider-Man does and all that, and they changed it to Yoda. And at the end of the trailer, we saw Yoda pull out the lightsaber and flip around. And when you're in a room with thousands of Star Wars fans and Yoda starts kicking ass, the adrenaline you feel is like nothing else. It's like the only equation I can put it to is when you're at a rock concert and everybody's just cheering for the band. Seeing Yoda do it there, and I got to see the trailer twice, so I was prepared, I was ready, I was excited for it. Yeah, he does jump around a little bit silly, but I like that he's able to... I, I love and hate when, after the Sith Lightning thing, when Dooku says, It is obvious that this contest cannot be decided by our knowledge of the Force, but by our skills with a lightsaber. It's like, alright, that's a cheesy line, but yet I like it, and that sets it up that... Dooku and Yoda are going to go one-on-one. -on -one. It shows that Dooku is a badass, and they did tease this. Early on during that speeder bike chase, Obi-Wan does say to Anakin, if you practiced your lightsaber technique as much as you practice your wit, you would ravel Master Yoda as a swordsman. So they told us he could swing a saber, and now we get to see it. Yeah, I, I think you keep Yoda more in mystery. That would be my instinct if... I was George Lucas, and I had lots of things to say about this trilogy. Uh, you keep him more mystery. Give this to Mace. Have Mace be the Yoda of this trilogy, the, the, the ultimate Jedi. I want things to be a surprise. I don't want everything turned into this weird fan fiction for me in this film. I don't know that it's fan fiction. I really get the impression, and it may have been something I heard in an interview, he was again setting things up for what he wanted to do in episode three. So we didn't want to be shocked by Yoda hauling out a can of whoop ass for the first time in the next movie. We get to see him do it here. But he, Lucas loves to like just drop a character in for a second. So we're prepared next time. Here's what I think would actually work. If we had had a, like a serious dark Empire Strikes Back kind of chapter, having this would be nice levity. Because we've had such weird fights in general. I mean, the, the whole arena thing and all, this just feels like, it just feels weird. It feels off. Fan fiction kind of feels right here. It does feel like it's pandering to the people that would love to see Yoda do this, and not because this is the right time for Yoda to do this in this story. Well, I loved it, so I guess I'm 
the one being pandered to, and I'm fine with it. And this is kind of ending at a stalemate. We don't see who wins between droids and clones. Does it matter if the both sides are playing them? Like, it doesn't even matter. No, it doesn't. What did you guys think about the Death Star being there? I was shocked. I went into this one spoiler-free after learning my lesson with Phantom Menace. And so that the Death Star showed up. I'm like, oh my god, that's so cool. Yet again, another original trilogy reference. How long were they building the damn thing? Yeah, that was my reaction. It was like, they were already planning on Death Stars? Like... They have clones and droids. Did they have no confidence in the military might of the moment? I'm telling you, I that wasn't a surprise to me because I saw those Death Stars in the Trade Federation ships last week. Like, those were mini Death Stars, so it didn't surprise me that they try to enlarge it and make it into a big battle station. They are trying to show an evolution of design, and I did find it to be kind of a cool callback. It, I have a dichotomy. When I think about all the books I've read and what this universe is... I feel differently than when I'm just watching it the first time and I'm like, oh, cool, Death Star's back! And Star Destroyers are back. We get those at the end. And the Imperial March finally swells. Yes, my favorite scene. We finally get some good music in this original trilogy because it's old music. And that was my desktop wallpaper for years. Those clones on Coruscant just standing there at attention, all the different outfits, the big ships behind them. So freaking awesome. Yeah, it it, it sends a chill when I see that scene with that Imperial March and Palpatine and Yoda looking on as, you know, all the clones load up and the ships take off. It, it's a great ender. It may have just been because it was th- four o'clock in the morning and I'd just gotten married, but I <laughs> welled up. I was moved to see this. Huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That says it all. uh, You know, I I don't even have any notes on this. I'm like, oh, okay. You didn't enjoy that some some classic scores back in this? I I noticed it. It felt disconnected uh, from what I've been watching. But yeah, I was like, oh, that's right. This is a Star Wars movie. Who knew? And then I, again, I was spoiler free. I happened to have gotten married before this movie. I had no idea coming in other than a trailer that this one was going to be a love story. And I certainly didn't know it was going to feature the only wedding in the Star Wars saga so far. Anakin and Padme hiding out on Naboo. Anakin has a robotic arm. I will never forget the trauma I suffered with the theatrical film prints of this. Anakin's hand is just hanging there, twitching and shuddering. I'm like, is the hand broken? Are we going to find out next movie that the hands weren't very good during the Clone Wars? They they fixed it in post, as Lucas always does. And in the final cut, he's holding Padme's hand with his artificial one. But it creeped me the hell out the first time. And C-3PO dressed up for the occasion. This is the first time we've seen him in gold, right? No, he's still silver at this point. Yeah, he's not in gold. Oh, okay. Well, then I don't know. You, you would think they, yeah, you, you would think being a witness at their wedding, he would dress up a little. Yeah, well, I thought he did, but, uh, you know, it was a long shot. Uh, you know, I can't tell what the hell's yeah. going on in these movies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you care about it. I'm just caring less and less. As, as, each, <laughs> as each story is coming out of Arnie's mouth, I'm finding less and less that I want to know more. The more you hear what Lucas said. Yes, it's true, though. Yeah, uh, it's not me, right? It's Lucas, right? No, 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 no. You are giving great knowledge of uh, ruinous origin. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, the most we can say is 3PO is back together again. Every movie, he loses a part. Last movie, he lost an eye. This movie, he lost a head. But he's put back together again here to officiate or witness the wedding, the secret wedding. And credits roll. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones? Jacob. Use the Force, Arnie, and guess. I'm seeing a clear no. I'm like, (laughs) I almost hear, like... No! I don't know. You can surprise, though. I can hear some really uh, hard vitriol about what something is, and then you can find that kernel. I mean, but there's no kernel? There is a kernel. There is a kernel, and it's like the last half hour of this film. has a really great ending scene. But no, my biggest problem is how boring this movie is. I know why I was so excited. I know I saw this like five times in the theater when it first came out. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so great. This is the return of Star Wars. It's because mysteries were set up that I thought were going to like, I was so intrigued by them. I couldn't wait to find the reveals when we got to Revenge of the Sith. I love the ending of this. Like that, I finally got what I wanted in Star Wars. So it was like this euphoria. And now I sit down and watch this and I know I'm not going to get answers. And uh, it's, it's just so boring in the beginning. We spend a lot of time meandering around, not telling exciting things. And that's a problem for me with this film is just... How boring. I had to go back to that eight-year-old and go, wait, wait, wait. Don't you want to see the part where at least Darth Vader loses her arm? Because I think she's like you, Stuart. She wants to see Darth Vader become Darth Vader. Watching Detective Kenobi was not fun for her. Watching this bad love story was not fun for her. It's not fun for me either. I don't think it's fun for a lot of people. So I finally was able to drag her in to see Anakin fight Dooku and see Yoda and watch the end of this film. But that's telling to me with even a child, maybe there wasn't enough Jar Jar for her, but was found this boring. I found this boring except for the very end. And so it's it's not a strong not recommend. I still don't feel like we've seen anything. Yeah, we've seen the beginning of the Clone Wars. That's 10 minutes of this film. I feel like where's the vital story about this? Anakin that we're supposed to be being told here. I feel like we still haven't got it two films in. And in this one, Arnie, you said with episode one, it was boring, 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 Padres, boring, 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 Darth Maul. I felt like this was like boring. Clone Wars at the very end. So yeah, it's it's not a strong not recommend, but I not recommend nonetheless. Stuart. I uh, I latched on to something that Padme says to Anakin when he's sulking. Sometimes there are things no one can fix. And, and that's what I realized watching this movie is that I'm just not going to get the movie that I thought it was. I thought I was going to get the story of Darth Vader falling into darkness. That's not happening here. It's not happening in the last movie. I presume they're going to cram it into the next movie. I don't I really don't remember much about the next movie, but it it hasn't been the story of the trilogy, no matter what they do in the third part. So what are we left with? More jazz riffs. They're better riffs. I can give that compliment. I do feel like the minutia we focus on is stuff that's more intriguing. Unlike you, Jacob, I was never bored in this movie. I was hooked into the story of the disappearing planet and where the clones came from and the setup for the war. I can't go so far as to say it was good, but it held my attention, which is something that that last movie never did. Not once. That that movie was start to finish bad. There was nothing good about it. It wasn't terrible. I am not a hater. I'm not going to say Phantom Menace was an awful film, but it was uniformly bad. And this one had mild intrigue, although I don't feel like, you know, I mean, there's no doubt about it. The love story is horrible, but, you know... 
Jar Jar is minimized. There are, are every time the love story gets to a low point, they cut away to something that's more interesting. Visually, it's it's fairly intriguing, although I do feel like it's a bunch of people on green screen. I don't know. I'm a mixed mind, but because it is the middle of a trilogy, I guess I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. What I don't like about this movie, I hope can be solved in the next one, and it's to me, it's episode one. You don't go back to that last thing this week. You can start right here. And who knows? Maybe they can save this prequel trilogy. I, it's it's the mildest of green arrows. And again, talking to you guys and realizing some of the problems that aren't going to be fixed. I'm, I'm feeling less generous, but I'm going to trust my feelings. Go with the force. Mild green arrow. I agree with Stuart. This is better than last week's. I like so much more about this film than last week. Last week was the faintest of green arrows. This week, we've got an intriguing plot with the murder mystery. We have actual formation of what will be the Galactic Empire. When we see Palpatine voted emergency powers, when we see the clone army show up, we see the Star Destroyers. This is now linking to the original saga in a way I didn't feel Phantom Menace did. You've got a further exploration of the Jedi Order. You've got the great battle at the end. I really enjoy the talky scenes in the middle. I've seen this movie dozens of times. I was shocked when I was watching it for now playing that it was two hours and 20 minutes. I'd never noticed or felt that length before. I did say the two-hour cut was improved, and I believe that, although I haven't seen it since 2002 when it was on IMAX. But there's a lot of really good stuff going on here. The CGI has improved. We're getting inventive fights. To me, because we're now obviously building towards the original trilogy, this does feel like Star Wars to me. Stewart's complaint early on with all those scenes on Coruscant was it doesn't feel like Star Wars. They're Jedi cops. But I think this is showing the transition from what we saw last week to what we saw in the original trilogy, down to showing us the original Death Star plans. And again, I think that this opened up a lot of doors for more storytelling. You could go as deep as you wanted to go, but you can also stop right here and just have a good time. I recommend Attack of the Clones. Now, after this movie, as we kind of referenced, they did have a Clone Wars cartoon micro-series on Cartoon Network. And... I was tempted to claim it's a movie and we should review it. I do plan on rewatching it before Revenge of the Sith because I really enjoyed that series. Because guess what? It's called The Clone Wars and there's wars going on in it, not detective work. Though there is a weird side story about Anakin getting some like slug tattoos or something that I remember. Season two got weird. Season one. You can't have a season two if it's a micro anything. I mean, micro means small. Well, the, the each episode was only like a couple minutes. Oh, okay. All right. But they all told a bigger story. I do remember, like, if you watch that series, Grievous is going to be the biggest disappointment ever because he is so awesome in that series, so threatening and menacing. Indeed he was. He's hopping on one leg. Actually, he was kind of comedic. The first time we ever saw Grievous, he had... I don't think they knew how he was going to fight with four arms. I don't think they discovered the splitting arm thing. So he's literally hopping on one foot and using his other appendages. I'm like, that's going to look ridiculous in a movie. <laughs> they did improve that, but... At least they didn't have Shaggy 
<laughs> yes. Revenge of the Sith. But that series ends right where Revenge of the Sith will begin. Correct. It is. It was done by Gennady Tartakovsky, who did Samurai Jack. It's not canonical. It was never really intended to be canonical because the Jedi powers there are extraordinary. I mean, they're all like Superman. The stuff Mace Windu does in that is astonishing. Yeah, that Mace Windu episode is great. One of my favorites. And the Kid Fisto one where he's basically Aquaman. I mean, <laughs> it sounds like you like this better than anything in the prequels, Jacob. That's I, I might. I might. I'll have to say Revenge of the Sith. I've seen the least. I've only seen it like twice. OK, so I it might be my favorite thing in the prequels. I, I do love that micro series a lot. I do, too. I got a tattoo of the Yoda from the micro series. That specific art I took into a tattoo artist and have on my leg. You almost make me want to watch it, but I'm going to let you guys do it. You can fill me in next week. And we will be back next week with our review of Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. We're getting close. We are less than a month away from Force Awakens. I'm getting excited. I, I got to go get in line at the theater yeah, to buy my right, ticket. Right, I know. It, it's, I got a good feeling about this, guys. I know that there is some troublesome vibes out there about what they may or may not have done with classic characters. And J.J. isn't George Lucas, but... I don't know. Every time I see the bits and pieces, I think they're going to try really hard. And I think they're, in some weird way, I, I expect to like it better than any of this prequel trilogy. I think it might work. In the meantime, also coming out this Friday, our review of Jackie Brown for Gold Level Donors as we continue through our gold donation series. Hey, Quentin Tarantino wanted to direct a Star Wars movie. I, maybe he just wanted to direct Sam Jackson again. I'm not sure, but <laughs> that would have been interesting. Jackie Brown came out around the same time as Phantom Menace. And I remember I have on VHS, I need to digitize this thing, a Fox special on Attack of the Clones where Sam Jackson walks out and he he hosts the show and he starts with the double-bladed lightsaber. When you absolutely positively have to take out every battle droid in the room, except no substitute. So you can find out all the details how to hear our Quentin Tarantino retrospective or our Hunger Games retrospective, which finished up last week, all at nowplayingpodcast.com. If you can't afford to donate... $10 or $25, anything you can donate would help. And if you can't afford any of that, a five-star review on iTunes would mean the world to us to let us know you appreciate the work we're putting in, the hours of research we put into these shows, the hours and hours of recording we spent on the Star Wars shows, and then the even more hours of editing. Yeah, even more editing. <laughs> so... If you appreciate the show, please, there's multiple ways to support us, either financially or through a review that helps other people find our show. And also, don't forget our Now Playing book. We are in the home stretch of writing, and then we've just got the publishing to do, and the book is up for pre-order on our homepage, and it's Thanksgiving weekend. I think we need to jump a trend and do a Cyber Monday deal. <laughs> what are we giving? Well, people have really been excited because, as we announced, John Carpenter is doing the foreword for our book. Yes, very cool. Very excited about that. It's absolutely amazing to have him involved in this project. We're very honored by this. And so I think for Cyber Monday and Cyber Monday only, we will be offering up a special bundle deal 
The Kickstarter supporters already had a chance at this, but if you didn't pledge for the Kickstarter, you're going to get one day where you can order a special bundle that includes the book, the audiobook, the ebook, and pulled from the vault for one day and one day only, four bonus podcasts are reviews of The Thing, that retrospective series, including, I think it's my favorite Carpenter film, is The Thing, and an Easter egg podcast we did way back when, Prince of Darkness. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of both. So yeah, I hope uh, folks are able to hear it. And I hope they're able to check out the book when it comes out next year. Yes, if you don't want the extra podcasts, the book or the book bundle with the MP3 download audiobook and the ebook are available now and will be available after Cyber Monday. And if you pre-order this book, if you order it before we get this in hand and ready to ship, you're going to get it autographed by all four of us authors, which is not going to be available after the initial shipment. So you can find the details now at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next week, the podcast will be with you always. Force is with us, Master Sidious. Welcome home, Lord Tyrannus. You have done well. I have good news for you, my lord. The war has begun. Excellent. Everything is going as planned. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Star Wars Retrospective Series. You have fought gallantly. Worthy of recognition in the archives of the Jedi Order. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. If you like Star Wars, join Arnie and Marjorie at SWActionNews.com for Star Wars Action News, a podcast dedicated to Star Wars toys, books, games, and more. You will find that they are immensely superior to droids. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. You will be delighted to hear that we are on schedule. That's good news. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews, including every film in the Star Trek, Terminator, 2001, Back to the Future, Batman, and James Bond film series. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. If an item does not appear in our records, it does not exist. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can share your opinions of these films with the hosts and other listeners. After all these years, we were beginning to think you weren't coming. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. You gonna use one of your Jedi mind tricks on me? <laughs> they only work on the weak-minded. Maybe you could help with some deadbeats. Who owe me a lot of money. 
Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to help keep the show going. The thought of losing you is unbearable. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I won't forget, and thank you. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. We should go inside. We have a lot to talk about. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Do it for me, milady, please. You can show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. You want to buy some death sticks? You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life? I want to go home and rethink my life. A link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. You did your duty. Corday did hers. Now come. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Now playing credit narration by Brock. You spend as much time practicing your saber techniques as you do your wit, you would rival Master Yoda as a swordsman. Now playing is not affiliated with Lucasfilm, 20th Century Fox, or Disney. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Lucasfilm Limited, and no infringement is intended. Our presence here will be invisible, milady, I can assure you. I don't like sand. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, you know it. It wouldn't have to be that way. We could keep it a secret. We'd be living a lie, one we couldn't keep even if we wanted to. I couldn't do that. Could you, Anakin? Could you live like that? Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. You must join me, Obi-Wan, and together we will destroy the Sith. I have to admit that without the clones, it would not have been a victory. Victory? Victory, you say? Master Obi-Wan, not victory. The Shroud of the Dark Side has fallen. Begun. The Clone War has. But was freed and married a moisture farmer named Klee Lars. But she's been kidnapped by some Tusken Raiders. These names. You feel like you're back in Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Worse. And strangely, I'm fine with it. Because I have action figures of almost all of them. Yeah, exactly. Why is there no Klee figure, though? I really need Klee. It would have to be a deluxe figure. He's got that space wheelchair. They so could have done that in the good years of Hasbro. Now, Yeah, where it was five bucks and you get a whole torture chamber with your Han Solo. Exactly.
Yeah, but did you guys notice that's Rose Byrne as her decoy? Not yet. I, I don't think that was the one that died. Oh, she is. Oh, she's Dorme, not Corday. You're right. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Their names. Corday dies. Dorme says goodbye. So Corday, one of them was Kira Knightley, but I don't think Kira Knightley was in this one. No, no. She was a different one from the last movie. So, just... so there's more than one faking it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're decoys. <laughs> oh, my God. Who even cares then? He didn't in my life as a house, which I saw in the build-up to this just because I was so anxious to see him act. Now, this is his first movie. Okay, this is his first film. But My Life as a House came out first because this had so much post-production. Life is a house, actually, but, but My Life as okay, a House whatever. is equally a bad title. 